Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. I'll make this quick. If you don't have money and you want to support us, like the video, leave a comment, subscribe to the channel if you want more stuff. If you do want more stuff, check out the channel. It'll have Power Spike. Tomorrow it'll have Best. Well, I don't know about tomorrow. I, I, actually, I don't know. Probably two days from now it'll have Best Damn League Show. It depends on who you're watching. If you're watching the VOD tomorrow, it will be tomorrow. But two days from now, <laughs> Best Damn League Show, which will be a banger. Spoiler, got a guess for that one. There's a little hint you only get by watching the shows. Obviously, there's all the other stuff. The bangers only. Monty and Wolf show came out recently. All sorts of content on there. All fresh. The short. We've got TikToks now. Yeah, that's right. Someone in insight. You lived from 2014 when we were the most hardcore morphos of all time. Didn't even do the title. Didn't change the Twitch header. Didn't even have subs enabled. Didn't have anything. Just guys Might have been waffling. drunk on the show, if you're me. Definitely. <laughs> but now we've got TikTok. Now, look, let's be real. You're not going for the... Look, it's not like Monty's there like... Doot. It's not. It's not that TikTok. Like, all the like, and there's definitely, and definitely, I'm not on the well. Now I say that I probably have to do this to make it funny. It's not me all just going. I'm a bass bitch, and it's not me mouthing the words to like a rap song by like Megan the Stallion or something. Like that. It's mainly you know esports related stuff like we do, like analysis of the games, clips and stuff. Anyway, check it all out. Lobby in the description box below. Right, obviously on this one, Monty, as well as because we're back in our old groove, being able to cover any regions we want. Spoiler: We usually probably won't ever cover. LPL because for that one we want experts and we want to be go able to go deep and we're only watching the big matches. You obviously do your bangers only stream. We obviously cover the other major regions, right? I thought for this one we'll primarily do LCS. We have a guest coming up later who's very relevant to that. Obviously LCK because it's just an amazing region. But there's a big, big old slice of that drama pie. Just the way Grandma cooks it. It's been sitting on the windowsill, Monty. All the heat coming off it with the window just up. And luckily, no passing by vagrant has come along and stolen it or anything. You know? And now it's time to eat and it, it feast took a couple that days pie. to cool, you it know. But it's, it's cool enough now. And we, we I actually feel like now's the best time. The now's the best time to do it, though, because if we'd have done this whole episode before they did the apologies, the Tigris herself, and obviously the LCS, I don't think it would have hit the same. So now, essentially, in theory, the drama is closed, right? Now, I know people are going, <laughs> I wonder if 100 Thieves will do an interview with Dub, Double Lift at the LCS. By the way, if he was to do anything beyond just make like a mild barb, he'd be bringing up the topic himself. Now, don't worry. He's stupid enough. He might do that. He is stupid <laughs> enough. He himself, like, how dare you reference that? Might actually reference the same thing himself. Spoiler, that he's put on the internet in public tweets on hundreds of thousands of platforms. He makes it sound like she read his diary, by the way, and mentioned all that stuff. But okay, the drama goes like this, if people remember. When they were doing 100 Thieves featuring Doublelift against TSM, because there is no narrative, I've complained about this for the last year, there is no narratives involving TSM. The only narratives are, do they abuse people? Do they steal money from people? And who was the biggest idiot of all the people who made all the bad mistakes? Like, nobody cares about the team's play. It hasn't been a relevant team. It's not that relevant a team now, if I'm being honest, even though it's actually not as terrible now and they've got some all right players, right? Now, because there was no narrative to hype up, I'll, I'll be with them, there wasn't. Doublelift hasn't even played for the last year, right? The way they built a narrative was Latigris took turns to do one of those monologues. She even, unfortunately, was a bit hyped about it. She even said, like, oh, like, I'm doing great. Got this great monologue coming in. It was on Twitter, like the screenshot <laughs> of the document, which that's aged poorly, I'm just going to say. <laughs> now, I will say before we start, I do actually think 
as much as people meme on all these aspects of the broadcast, and they especially did in the online era, Monty, I will say before we start, I actually have absolutely nothing against the Tigress. Look, I don't think she's the best in the world. I think some of the people on LEC are better. But I actually think on that show, she's good, Monty. I actually do. One thing I do like is I never bought for a second that, like, Jack really was that hyped about, like, the best NA teams. I know he isn't because I know Jack knows how good LCK and LPL is. I never really bought, like, put it this way, I do semi-buy that Freak did. I never really bought that, like, Mark he totally was in on them. He obviously does always the meme at Wales and then he backs off when they lose. But I tell you what, I do believe. So she's either a great actress, Monty, or she fooled me because I believe she actually is hyped about that broadcast. She does seem like she's genuinely enthusiastic about telling stories like super That's old fair. fucking double F still playing the game. Still, she, she seems to be one of the few people who hasn't given up on that bloody broadcast, mate. Still trying to make it work. Even though at this point, it's a Sisyphean task of pushing the boulder <laughs> up every hill and then never never get to the end. You just do it every time. So with that said, look, obviously she made a four par because what she did, she took the angle of the drama. Now, this is where there's so many angles we can go to. But basically, she just pointed out like Doublelift had his beef against TSM because he had that thing where he's got like a lawsuit and then TSM were coming back and being like, oh, you lied about this and we're going to like wreck you and return. And then stupidly, because the lawsuit was related to the idea that people were abused within TSM. I will say, not sexually, as far as anyone knows. I know people take that term, it's shorthand. We just mean abused as workers. It was an, uh, sounds like an unacceptable work environment. Maybe people were exploited. Spoiler, if you even just looked into some of that stuff with the Peter Zhang and the contracts, it seems to me, as a non-legal expert, like actually the way they even operate in California doesn't make sense. Remember all those reports about like people were doing overtime and being told, like, come in on this day. All the things that you can't do with a freelancer legally in the state of California, by the way. But I will say, that is the whole sports industry. TSM was just the worst version of that they were just getting away with the loophole now now we'll start that's the facts of the matter right so she did this monologue like that and unfortunately it was very poorly received doublelift himself flamed it in a tweet flamed it on his stream sort of like said something oh how, how dare they do this lena went on reddit she was battling against them and basically these people tsm lena doublelift tsm in general demanded that they get some kind of apology right the fans in general look i wanted an apology in the sense of like i just think you missed it it was a bad angle never should have taken it you missed the. i just thought it was more like we fucked up sorry and then obviously the one well we'll get to all the details there's the facts i want to get where you're, you're starting on this one where you where did you start when you first heard this story monty I mean, so I think that what what starts to annoy me about this entire affair is that at, at the most basic level, I just hate the concept in esports and traditional sports, by the way, traditional sports are super guilty of this, of pretending that an entirely different group of people is responsible for things that happened in the oh, past. Oh, right, the other way around, right, okay. Right, so it's like, you know, it's it's this whole team of players and coaches, and we know that Reggie has been forced to basically recuse himself from the League of Legends team, and, you know, the LCS and the LCSPA set up this player hotline to make any kind of complaints if they need to about the work environment at TSM. But from the LCS perspective, the team that Doublelift played on, I mean, Lena's gone now, right? And she was the one who brought him over from Team Liquid in the first place. I mean, the conflict of interest there was absolutely insane at the time. And I don't think that trade should have ever gone through, in my opinion. Um, and so holy wall. <laughs> and I tweeted that at the time. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think like making a, a rivalry comparison when I don't think Doublelift has any particular... Uh, beef 
with any of the people that are on TSM right now is just a fake ass rivalry. It's like saying that, you know, in traditional sports, that the team that existed 10 years ago with literally an entirely different roster of players is somehow a through line to the main team. That is a cheap narrative. It would be like saying that like when the Warriors play the Cavaliers now, you're contrasting when they have like LeBron and Kyrie Irving. They don't have any of those players anymore. It's a totally different team. (laughs) So, you know, it's one of those ship of Theseus problems, except we just... In, Which is a common sport. problem in league. We always complain about the T1 one where they act like it was the same team from years ago. So it's obviously a common problem. <laughs> right. I mean, at least Faker's always been there, right? So there is there at least is some level of comparison. But this is a this is a sad ass way to do narratives, and it's a sad ass way to do rivalries when you don't even need that. I mean, I think the more interesting storyline here would have been to talk about double lifts time on TSM because for the through line is for the fans, right? It's like, oh, the fans used to be fans of Doublelift who were TSM fans. Look at him on 100 Thieves now and he's coming back to to beat up on the team that you're a fan of. That's the actual narrative, right? And for me, dragging into this, so there's there's several big mistakes with this segment. Uh, one of which is, as you said, there was a law firm doing an investigation into whether Reggie attacked people based on their protected classes in the United States and the state of California, which, is illegal, which means, yeah, which means for those of you who don't know, was he bullying people based on their race or their age or their sexuality or their religion, right? These are all protected classes. Turns out he wasn't. Uh, he was just- Reggie's just a common garden he's just an asshole. asshole. Exactly. <laughs> you know. He's an asshole to everybody. Yes. And so they didn't find uh, any instances where he was bullying people based on protected class. So they couldn't, he wasn't actually in violation of any law. And so according now, I don't know the intricacies of the partnership agreements that the teams have with Riot, but they couldn't really do anything to him um, because of the legal contract between the two entities. And the way they punished him was by not giving him a Valorant partnership. So they did punish him pretty severely, I would say. Um, You know, they basically cut him out of of Valorant and they and they cut TSM, um, you know, in the same way that uh, the G2 was was ultimately punished uh, for what Carlos did. So I think that they made some pretty strong statements in addition to their rather weak fines, but they used the mechanisms that they had within League of Legends and then punished them in a different way. Um, and so for me, that was that was like the first problem is why are you trivializing something that was really serious to a lot of people? Uh, and people did, in fact, suffer emotionally and verbal abuse at the hands of Reggie. And like, is that something we need to drag into a, a game rivalry? Right. It, it just seems like a pretty big downplaying of it. The other thing that pissed me off as somebody who lived through this era was her saying basically that the old Game Cribs episodes where Reggie is on camera verbally abusing the players to the point that yeah, they like a screenshot cry. of one of them. You know the one where he's in the car when they were having the subways and, he's, and Wild Turtles looking at him like this. And he's going, Wild Turtles, the whole reason that we lost the game. He's pretty, you know, like, and he's like right there. Like yeah, that one, that classic clip. Uh, by the way, if you go back and watch that game, Reggie completely runs it down, and it's oh, definitely it's Reggie's fault. It's definitely, it, his yeah. Fault. So it it is incredibly his fault, um, and so he is he is like completely taking you know talking shit to Wild Turtle. It's like a tantrum. I mean, it it is appalling, and it was appalling at the time. And by the way, Riot did nothing at the time. This was happening in and around the LC, the first LCS yep. studio in 2013. He's never been punished ever. Remember, people used to Doublelift was once fined for poaching himself. Like Reginald was never fined for this behavior ever. I think yep. I think High 
wasn't fined by Riot. Was it? Was it? Was it right? Remember when Hyde did that and got like a? It was, oh, he it was, was either Cloud Nine or or Riot fight again. Nine. But Reggie just kept skating. Everyone knew this was going on. Yeah, everybody, and they were putting it out, and it was getting tons of views on YouTube. And uh, Riot was well aware of it. Did they do anything? No, they thought it was perfectly fine. Everybody involved, thought, and like I was saying, this is fucked up at oh, the yeah, time for sure. Uh, and nobody, but everyone no, just said, "Nah, it's because you're with CLG, Monty. You are salty. <laughs> you, you know, you're the one that's aged the worst, guys. You're just jealous of Reggie because he has Lena and all those millions of dollars. Like, well, only one of those two is correct anymore. So. <laughs> I think he's jealous also, of himself I, now. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a person who's super motivated by money. Oh, so oh, whatever. Um uh, the so there was that angle to it where she said like oh that's just ancient history and like for me it's not like it's an incredibly integral part of this story and a really regrettable part of the esports scene and especially the the young League of Legends scene at the time and I don't like that behavior just being swept under the rug and she also didn't live through that so she's probably not the right person to be talking about yeah. uh, about that particular incident because she wasn't around and doesn't understand really the impact of that or what was going on in the scene. Um, so that, that rubbed me the wrong way too. So I think she was just the wrong person to go back that far in time when she wasn't there, especially when there are people literally on that broadcast, people like Jat, people like Kobe that were there. They were there at the time. You know what I mean? Remember, um, add this detail in Monty. We all know LCS is not the broadcast where someone's going on stage doing an impromptu speech. This is just like the Frost Gorham one. This was run up the pipe. This has gone to people who oversee the content and the edit. People have approved this to get on the broadcast. That's how that broadcast works. It's a very, it's a very controlled broadcast, I've heard. Yeah, I think probably less. They changed producers, so I think it, you know we. I don't know exactly the way it's working it's right now. Be, at say. least one person must have improved it. Well, oh, yes. at least. Oh, one. yeah. I mean, mo multiple people obviously looked at it. They rehearsed it, right? They rehearsed it. Like there, there, were, exactly. there, was, there were dozens of people who were involved yep. in this, um, and said it was okay. Now, all of this said, uh, I think it was irrelevant in that. The players, it's not really a rivalry because Double Lift isn't against anybody that he was against previously. I think that it was a tasteless, um, it was a tasteless dismissal of things that happened in the past. I think it was kind of a, you know, it was it was uh, a flippant study of something that happened very recently that they never addressed on broadcast, really, by the way. Um, very seriously. So they never did a serious treatment of the Reginald investigation, which took months and months and months and months last year. Um, so yeah, all of that was just kind of garbage. But I will say this. I'm glad they're taking risks. I mean, the fact Not that we're actually... Policy, yes. uh, look, I, I mean, as crazy as, as it might be to say, this is a new direction for the LCS. And I would much rather, and I said this on this show, I would much rather swing and have have them swing and miss sometimes than just be garbage and boring like they were the entirety of the last like 10 years. Right. So, it, it you know, occasionally they're not going to do the best thing, but I think that they have improved pretty significantly and they have been much more interesting this year. And as much as we might hate this, this was a strong choice and it was interesting at the end of the day. And and as I said on Power Spike, this is probably the first time that Latigris has ever done anything interesting, which you know, 
not 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 a good review, I think, of of her overall. I, mean, I would just say in the sense she just played it safe before. She was just doing a generic host of yep. an esports event before. Yeah, it was a scandal. Remember, here's the saddest thing: if you're someone like her, by the way, you would have gotten away with that for the first six, seven years of LCS. The games used to carry the bloody uh, the broadcast. It wasn't about some magical bells and whistles and LEC, and there was none of that. Right? I'll get into some of my angle now. On to you. Uh, you, anyway, you ready? I'm glad oh, she's putting herself out there. Is the point, and I, I hope that she doesn't. I don't want her to get discouraged by this because I think that. You can learn from this and you can actually put yourself out there more now and people are paying attention to you. And I hope she uses this moment to, to double down. All right, so first things first, the main issue, I agree. The chicken chances is fine. Even referencing things outside the game might not be terrible, but you have to be careful of the tone and what the content of what you're talking about is. So if this had been, they just shit-talked each other on Twitter, but about the fact that Doublelift used to be in TSM, or even, by the way, being honest, they did make it public, even if like Reggie and Doublelift had publicly bat battled about the fact that they both have dated Lena, even if that was the angle, you would actually potentially be okay to, that's, that's right behind the line because they've made all that public that is a storyline people care about the problem here is the tone was light-hearted like like she said this is ancient history it's not ancient history when you have documented on-camera abuse dozens and dozens of examples by the way i knew the guy who was the cameraman who made that documentary he told me you, you want to see what hit the fucking cutting room floor mate when you have that scene where they're in the studio and they fuck up in game then suddenly reggie's berating especially he's crying i was told i chopped loads out of that i, I couldn't just make like half the episode i'm just abusing a guy to tears so they knew this was all going on this is all in that tiny season three studio yeah, that, that this is same, it's all on camera guy, that same producer told me the same thing he said they had to cut they had to cut it and edit it in a way to make it look better because it was so bad right that was the good version that you guys saw the bad version i mean the what what you didn't see was even worse than so that the implication there when you say is ancient history is like it's not relevant the reason why this lawsuit is happening is because that is literally relevant. That is documented evidence of it. That's almost the genesis point publicly of where we get Reginald being this type of character. By the way, we'll get to this in a minute. Lena was there the whole time. She was never telling stories behind the scenes, by the way. She never said anything. Never went to a big journalist, as far as I'm aware. Never even attempted at the time to even help with this. But we'll get to that. So then the next point is this, right? Even if you wanted to address drama like that, I still think it would be a bit flippant but that's mainly because you're Riot. You're the broadcast. They wouldn't on the NFL bring up some crazy, outrageous thing. And of course, let's see Deshaun Watson, because uh, a lot of people think that he actually might have abused many women in the offseason. So he was turned down by a lot of teams. Will he be hungry for this game, do you think? When he thought he might have gone to prison? That would be mental for the NFL. But here's the thing. Guys, the NFL doesn't do the broadcasts, do they? So here's a very key distinction I want to make. If this was Fox doing the LCS, they can do it. They're an independent news organization who are covering it as third-party people. If this was ESPN, if this was whatever CBS, whatever network, whatever channel you want, that's okay. You're Riot Games. And also, you riot games and you've made it. The LCS is buttoned down and you get fined for that. You're, exactly. That's terrible. Then let's add this in here, right? When you are Riot Games, don't ever talk about anyone abusing their employees, you fucking cretin. Read the room. That just shows you the goal of whichever producer approved this, Monty. Because Riot Games got away with abusing the women. You might go, no, yep. they didn't. They had to pay the fine. First of all, they attempted allegedly to sabotage the fucking fine so it would be less. Also, they didn't go to a normal court, so we didn't get all the information. It was done in arbitration. A thing that if you ever go and look at Richie Lewis's content is intentional 
intentionally designed essentially to protect the companies by lawyers. Yeah. It's why they get you assigned at the beginning. And then let's add in one more detail in that regard, right? No executive was ever fired, ever stepped down, ever did a true mere culpa that cost anything more than words. And they paid for a little charity thing and they let people stand outside with a placard and people pretended that changed the whole culture of a company. It didn't. It didn't in any way. You don't turn a steamboat round in one day. It's not, it doesn't work that way. So this is the other thing we want to get into now, which is when you're going to talk about this topic of double lifting Lena, the idea you need to apologize to them. By the way, the it's TSM one's mental because they even made it sort of like, you just, it, it sounded initially like you, you have to applaud. It sounded initially like people wanted apologies to all of TSM. Well, we're obviously not apologizing to the people who abuse people. So that's off the table. So I wouldn't ever say apologize to TSM. I'd say like any of the people involved in that abuse. By the way, if that includes Double Lift and Lena, then it would include them. But I don't know about necessarily entirely like that. The problem with the Double Lift angle was this is as I say, Double Lift himself put all that info out there in public. Now, true, maybe he doesn't want it on LCS broadcast. But don't act like it's like some secret. Oh, man. Everyone does know this. In fact, you're the one who was the one who did it. And here's my problem if you build into this. I don't say that Doublelift and Lena weren't abused by Reginald. But one, they never let on in any context, as far as I'm aware, until they left. And it financially benefited them and public yes. relations-wise benefited them to make Reggie the bad guy. In fact, before that, let's be real. If you ever brought this stuff up to them, public, they would have laughed it off. They would have deflected it. They'd have spun it on some you. They hate us because they us because we're TSM angle. Lena herself, by the way, for years, she was the president of TSM. The word president means you preside over. That means everything that happens there is your purview and it's not your fault. You didn't do the action, but it's your responsibility. When you find something's happening, if you're the president, then you have to take care of it. Now, you can't go, but it's the order. No, no, no. You're the president. You are by definition one of the most powerful people in the company. You can at a minimum send that info to journalists. By the way, you don't even need to do Richard Lewis and me anymore. One, Travis Gafford fucking double of best friend he's a journalist told me you can't tell him about this shit and another person you notice is never whispered a fucking peep about tsm reggie even though he knew what was going on the whole time because he knows where he knows where the fucking purse strings are mate and he knows he doesn't want tsm fans downvoting all those videos and telling him he's fucking cancelled so he said nothing for 10 years too more people that were adding to the list then let's go on to this angle if you were leaner you could even in the modern day, because it's already happening, have contacted that guy who, look, if you ever read his Twitter profile, it's an absolute nightmare. I'm waiting for this guy to do a terrible walk story soon. That guy with the like Eastern European name who works for Washington Post who wrote these stories, you can reach out to him. And he's the this is the worst detail of all because they're trying to imply now that Lena was part of the abuse or that she either, like she knew about it and she just like consoled, but she didn't help anyone though. Here's the problem with that. You're part of the investigation, surely? Why didn't you tell Riot all that happened to you? You either yep. lied and didn't tell everything to Riot. If that's true, by the way, you have no business later claiming abuse. Unless, because now you're not even in his grips anymore. That's the thing, Monty. If someone's like a beaten woman in a house or something, obviously I understand why you might be in fear for your life, why you fear for your children. There's other reasons. She's out. She's gone. She, if you don't know, guys, she's not even unemployed. She has like a very good job for Sentinels, one of the biggest orgs in Valorant, one of the bigger esports orgs with massive funding. I heard she was could have joined a bunch of big teams, by the way. This is someone doing very well in their career. In offline TV for a while before moving jobs. Yeah. She's, she's had plenty of, of career opportunities. So, I mean, I, I think I think to your point, like this this issue with Lena is that I, I look, I think there's always there should always be an open door. And maybe this is the this is the thing that pushes her in the direction it, of yeah. Yeah, talking to a journalist. Like, I don't believe in condemning people forever, but I do think that when you are presiding over this for a decade. 
right? As you say, you are fully aware of it. Um, you are literally dating the guy doing it for a good chunk of the early part of this. You are living in the house in Long Island and you are living in the house with the LCS team in Los Angeles at the start. And look, she was really young and like maybe, you know, I, she, you know, she, she started very young in esports, right? As a literal teenager. And so I think maybe over she is time. She's now 29 as, years old, man. Yeah, yeah. 29-year-old adult woman who was the president of a company valued at $500 million by Forbes magazine. Stop doing yeah. this shit, guys. Lena and Doublelift and fans, stop doing this. Where, on the one hand, if someone dared to say, seems like nepotism maybe is why you got your job. Did you ever do anything at TSM? That would be an outrageous statement. I've never made it. But if you were to say, oh, you were the president of the company, then you presided over it. You must have known these things. Oh, no, I wasn't. I, I didn't do any of that. Every time something bad happened, she never did it. Here's why it's mental, by the way, that she never reached out to people. Because I've heard from my contacts, I've done content on this, that she poaches players for TSM, including in League of Legends. That means she even can go through back channels. I've heard all sorts of stories about when she was in charge. The joke is everything that happened at the end, she took credit for. I got these players. I got the team. The Fortnite guys, I got double lift, I got this. Suddenly she does everything except everything Reggie does. She not only doesn't do that, she wasn't involved. She saw it, so she knew they were abuse. She never seemed to help them, never seemed to magically all your power's gone. What is it? Are you this powerful? Like, wow, she's like, she's showing women like you can lead the industry and be a top figure. I don't know if she was ever in one of those this like Forbes 30 under 30. I mean, imagine she probably was. It would be the sort of thing you'd be I in. She was. Which is it? Do you get the credit and the acclaim? Because here's the thing. Credit like that comes with responsibility. Power comes with responsibility. You actually have. I'm not being I'm being serious. I think she genuinely, because she was the president, had a, a, a responsibility of care to those players and staff. And when you saw Reggie was doing that, you should have allowed... You, here's the thing, Monty. You should have been the one raising the alarm bells years ago. Even as you say, if you were young, okay, when you get to say 25 and you're the president, now you should be raising the alarm bells. You should have started this process with Raya and the press years ago. Instead, what did you do? You didn't. You let the value of TSM go up and up and up. You collected, I'm guessing, a nice big fat six-figure contract, probably equity as well, all along the way. You got your boyfriend kicking the team. You left. Are you ready? This is the detail. Has to be inserted because this context shows that I don't believe everything Doublelift and Linus is in good faith. Here's why, Monty. Because the story goes, at the end of 2020, Doublelift did want to play in TSM still. Yeah. And he had that thing where he asked for that one player from Vietnam and then instead they were sorted and they didn't think it was going to be sorted out. And then he left and then they got sorted out and Reggie thought, this is my chance to fuck Doublelift and he, fuck you, homie, you ain't coming back. And I heard, that, remember I said that on someone inside and everyone was, you're not quite correct there, Thorin. But a year later, the whole story came out. It was exactly as I said. Spoiler. That's because I can't really my source you with you. I have to pretend I'm speculating. I'm right. just the best speculator and, and, of all time. So, <laughs> so, so the, the way this went, guys, was that there was supposed to be Sword Art in the team. Doublelift said he would join if Sword Art joined after Sword Art was in the World Finals. Sword Art then didn't look like he wasn't going to join for a while, so Doublelift pulled out. Yep. Then Sword Art ended up signing the contract, and Doublelift was like, oh, I'm back in now. And Reggie was like, fuck you. You gave me the runaround. You don't get to be in this team. But then the and problem then is this. Out. Then, so Doublelift's not in TSM anymore, and now he's a huge streamer, right? He takes the year off, right? When he's taking the year off and he's a huge streamer, this is as Lena starts to exit TSM. Oh, here's the drama that's to exactly, to his stream. That's Weird. exactly when all the information gets dropped. So essentially, it's worse than you think, guys. If they really believe this was abuse of employees and people they dearly cared about, including the president turning a blind eye, it's worse, guys. They used that abuse as a bargaining chip to increase their own status, and I'm just going to say it now, if if Doublelift plays in TSM in 2021, I don't think he ever says any of this stuff. I've even heard not. other stories about they could have made another lineup with all the the next year after that. 
the whole thing's outrageous because it just looks like the joke is they're the people who don't seem to take the abuse seriously. It's like those stories I tell you about the virtue signalers. It's worse, Monty. It's not that a virtue signaler pretends to care about someone. or No, it's not that the virtue signaler cares, but then when they realize it's a cost, they're like, I can't pay the cost. No, no, they never did care because they never were going to pay the cost. So what they actually do when you virtue signal is you take the life of a protected class or someone who's vulnerable and you say again, I'm just going to use this for personal gain until it doesn't gain me and then you're done. So you're basically a puppet. You're a tool of that person. You actually show you don't. It's the worst than that. You show that they're just a commodity to be used. Like, this was just a chess piece for double if them. I mean, the joke there is he could barely play checkers, could he be trying to... I've got five <laughs> on top of each other, you know. You know how he is, mate. <laughs> but, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, the timing was extremely suspicious. It it did, in fact, draw, drive significant viewership to double lift's content because yep. people were hanging on his every word to learn more about the drama and he was getting written legal letters, which it was funny that he put on Twitter. I will admit, like it was obviously oh, just yeah. a bullshit attempt and like, I would do the same thing um, if I were him. And it's very hard to separate. I mean, it's annoying because I think what he did was right, but I think he did it the right thing for the wrong reasons. Yes. That's um, a good way to say it. So I, I, I'm not him. I, I know him, um, I'm, but I'm not him and I can't be in his head. But there's nothing to make me believe that either of these people is truly doing these things because they cared about the abuse. And even now, it feels like they're doubling down on like, why the fuck are Doublelift and Lena making Twitter posts about this segment? This segment was was bad, but it's like. Everybody knows it's bad. There isn't a confusion among the audience or the fans that it was bad. People are already annoyed by it. The apology was already made. So why are you doubling down on somebody who is literally apologizing for doing the thing that you're upset about? And it really didn't affect you. It, it's not like it cast Double Lift in a bad light. Nobody came out of this segment thinking, I think worse of Double Lift now as a result of this. Nobody, that was, it was never throwing any shade at Double Lift whatsoever. So why is he pissed off? In a way, they're they're still trying to cover their asses for the weird circumstances. And this is a clearly like a PR move to be like, oh yeah, we were the good guys the whole time. But everybody knows you weren't the fucking good guys. You were, you were a bystander watching bad shit happen and saying nothing for 10 years. And some people are going to spin this back at me and say, well, Monty, you owned a team and bad things happened. Yeah, I was also punished for it. I was punished very severely, right? And while I disagree with the severity of that punishment, I do agree that I shared some level of responsibility over that situation. Oh, the owner. Yeah. There you go. Like, you know what I mean? I shared some level of responsibility. Do I think I was punished overly severely given the things that I knew and the things that I did? Yes, of course I believe that. But this was something that was allowed to happen for 10 years with actually zero punishment, right? And that's the difference. I'll give you so, another angle as well. Look, it's it's one that's mine only, but I can't believe. Monty, I don't want to play this game where we can cancel people, but some people are uncancelable just because they're popular. So here's the obvious one. Monty, you remember this. In 2020, I showed that the TSM YouTube channel, the main channel with all those bazillion subscribers, had vlogs on it. And one of them featured Reginald, literally the owner of the team. Still, in 2020, the video was up until I point this out, saying what Riot themselves would describe as an anti-LGBT slur. Yeah. Now, did Riot ever punish him when I put this video out? Pointed, it out, it pointed out the video was there? No, they never mentioned it or addressed it. Did Riot ever, during the 10 years, figure out 
are there any dodgy things on these channels? Did Lena, who, by the way, is part of what she's credited for as the content strategy and all the setting up of the shows, did she ever do anything about it? Did TSM ever do it? All those people who care in TSM, did they ever do anything? No. The joke is, this, let's be real, Monty, because that video is sold, that video would be on their YouTube right now if I had brought it up. Right now right. in 2023. So that's and, the, and the that way, TSM can, was. They never cared about I, any of this. I can just tell you, as somebody who had conversations with Reginald during that time, that he could barely speak two sentences without dropping an F-bomb. And, you know, Lena was dating him. <laughs> like, it was all there, guys. It was all there. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's so, about it, right? I mean, look, I, I think that, the, you know, this issue, I, I, I think that the fans at least appear to have the, the, a sober and clear-eyed take on this one, which is that this is a pretty fraudulent um, attempt to, like, shame LaTigris. And I do think it's ridiculous that LaTigris apologized to TSM. Like, what the fuck? You didn't even do any damage to TSM. What, some people who work at TSM are upset because they tried to change the company culture? You didn't fire Reginald, okay? It's the same shit with Riot. They didn't fire anybody. Now, you can be mad, but you yourself are deluded if you are working for Riot or TSM and you think that real changes occurred. They did some bullshit changes, but they didn't actually change the leadership of the company that was causing these problems, okay? So you kind of, you know, I don't feel sorry for you. You kind of deserve to feel bad about working for Riot or TSM. That should constantly be on your radar that, hey, you know, I like this job and I like collecting this paycheck, but there's some real shitty people at the top. And working this job yeah. is going to come with that criticism. So you can't be righteous and you can't act butthurt when it happens. The saddest thing is, I've said this on the show many, many times, not only were we spun to be crazy conspiracy theorists who just had an irrational beef against Reginald because he hosted a tournament over Monty in season two and because he block blacklisted me from interviews, even though he later did interviews and shows. That was the angle that was told to us when we pointed out this abuse for 10 years. By the way, same with Richard Lewis. He pointed out all the riot stuff for years and years and years. You all told him he's a liar. He doesn't know anything about esports. He's making it up because he's banned from Reddit. Spoiler, you all, everyone who said that, you all carried water for people who abused people, sexually abused them. You carried water for people who abused employees. And then the other thing I'll say is this, the only people behind the scenes at TSM who used to actually admit, yes, Reggie's an arsehole and did these things, were the odd player who had a set of balls. That's it. There's not that many. There'd be, a, there'd be four, five, six of them. And even then, most of them, it was like a cult. They'd then quickly, like, it's like the sort of mantra would kick and then they'd go, but then again, though, Reggie did take care of me and he did give me like a golden handshake at the end and he did. And they'd just go into this like thing where they would disassociate and just explain how brilliant he was and make him sound awesome. And the joke is like, even players like, staff, never, no one has ever leaked this. No one ever said it. In fact, the, the premise was, this is the environment, the work culture within the company Lena presided over and was winning awards for being hailed and lauded for. The, the premise was, if you were actual uh, employee and you said any of this shit, not only would it be over at TSM, they'd probably kill your career in esports because they know all yep. the other org owners, they know Riot, yep. they know they have all the sponsors. The last thing they want to do is piss off TSM. In fact, I'll be real. The whole reason I think T Reginald specifically never was fined or punished, even though I said... CLG used to get fines up the ass all the time from Nick Allen. We all know those fucking stories. Monty's had fines. They've, a whole bunch of people have had fines. But the reason why TSM and Reggie were never punished is because TSM were number one back then. They were the FaZe clan of League of Legends. Reggie was the main figure along with Hotshot and Hotshot wasn't even a good player anymore. Like th the joke was they did love them some Reggie and they were willing to turn a, a blind eye to it. 
And everyone turned a blind eye like this. And then as usual, when it comes out, everyone's clutching at their pearls. Oh, how could it happen? Because you all let it happen. Remember that famous saying, the Edmund Burke quote, where it's supposedly misquoted, like all it takes for evil to like succeed is good men to do nothing or good women in this case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I hope that this actually changes something and you see, you see the, you know, you see Doublelift and Lena. Now, Doublelift already, I think, you know, has said his piece. I'm not sure he has much more evidence that he could give than he would have. Gi- I think he probably would have given it already, given what's happened with the investigation. But if Lena has stuff like, you know, they should people should be going, you know, crazy releasing this information and not just them, but a bunch of the other former TSM employees and anybody who can like now is the time to do that. Let's finish this off. You you know, the vampires in the coffin, you actually can stake it right now. It's asleep. We can actually kill TSM if people want to and people try. I've got a closer um, for you, Monty. Oh, yeah. Right. I'm not actually sure which Justin Wong it is, unfortunately, because there are two famous Justin Wongs in esports. There's the Street Fighter player who does know yes. these people. And then there's the one that worked for Twitch, if people don't know. It was like a high up person at one point in time, right? Yep. I'm going to guess it was the Twitch one in light of the fact that it's Reggie and TSM. If you go to Reginald, Andy Din's LinkedIn page, this is an example of what the industry was like when people like Double F and Alina wouldn't speak out. Remember, you go to LinkedIn, that's the main business thing. You see, oh, who's this? Oh, that's very impressive. Oh, he's been the owner of TSM and Blitz up. Remember when they didn't bother revealing that and I had to reveal that and then they apologized. Yeah, exactly. And Riot had secret ownership in it. Why did me and Rich Lewis have to do everything in the game we're not even from? I think it's shit kid's daughter. I don't want to have to be the fucking guardian of the game. So here's the quote. And when you hear this quote, you'll know what the industry was like when people like me were saying it and everyone didn't listen. So in recommendations received on Andy Din's LinkedIn page, it says, Justin Wong. I've had the pleasure of watching Andy build solo mid from a passionate group of like-minded gamers to one of the largest esports and influencer organizations in gaming today. In that time, Andy has grown into an inspirational leader, an industry figurehead. His domain expertise, business acumen, and keen insights are only surpassed by his genuine care for his players and employees because esports is fucking inverted. The good people are the villains, the ones that are portrayed as the villains are the ones with the perfect track record, pure integrity. This is a shithole space, guys. And the question is this, do you want it to remain a shithole space or will you contribute to it being better? Which is it going to be? Yeah. Well said. Right. Talk about some League of Legends and that, innit? Also, by the way, just as an aside, notice how, look, let's be real. In the chess move, and by the way, TSM Alina did always know this. Is one thing I'll give her props for. She always did understand. If you have the platform she had when she was at TSM and Doublelift does, it doesn't actually matter if me and Monty strike back. You got your result that you wanted, which is you turned everyone against the broadcast. You got the apology. You won out bit, and you reminded people Reggie's an arsehole. You actually won out there, even though on the plus minus, I will say, as a side effect, you did just get us to bring up riot abuse who you work with, and then also all the shit that you did and didn't do at TSM. So I would have said in theory, it doesn't really work out, but Actually, in ter- as long as they don't care, it's the phase clan approach. As long as you get your crack off, who cares, basically? Obviously, Dom oh, just is All they have to do is convince some 15-year-olds to throw Twitch bits, subscriptions, and uh, tweets, and then they win, I guess. <laughs> you just have to convince dumb kids to, to do some actions, and then uh, you get all the viewership, and your careers keep rolling. Well, tragic. Tragic the way it works. Oh, We're by trying. the way, one last thing to <laughs> throw in there. 
Wasn't it while Lena was TSM of, of was president of TSM that Peter Zhang was supposedly yes. ripping off all the play? Yes. One thing I hate about this is this. I said it before. Power and status come naturally with responsibility. The idea you're not responsible for these things. What the fuck are you responsible for? Someone explain it to me. Like, I, I don't get it. Seriously. It's mental, isn't it? Well, I, yeah. I it's mean, like, here's the joke. It, People the act, Monty. When she fails, when she fails, doesn't there. matter. It was all going on during her time. She yeah. was one of the people promoting that fucker and saying he was good. Here's the start. Here's the angle for you, Monty. When something goes good in TSM, she's Bill Belichick. She runs the whole org. When something goes bad, she's Jason Garrett. Jerry Jones runs the whole thing. I'm just a fucking puppet. What am I doing here? Just, oh, it's not even my fault, is it? Give me a break. And by the way, spoiler, just in case I need to spell it out, you ain't Bill Belichick, homie. <laughs> Even though he also does cheat as a piece of shit. So I get why I get the confusion. <laughs> uh, too funny. Um, <laughs> um, so we, we actually didn't mention this. We are going to get Papa Smithy on today as a guest so do you have any oh i didn't feel like topic? coming on this segment uh what is not, not a, oh know, it's too early weird. yeah that it's probably just too early for him you know Papa, he'd, he'd have jumped in he's a bit mad. right whatever whatever um so, yeah, papa smithy wouldn't have anything to say about 100 thieves anyway he probably slums him so. <laughs> <laughs> i saw your I mean, tweet by the way which was naughty we'll definitely bring that up later the one where you were like <laughs> if you enjoyed this fly quest roster he could have just built it for 100 thieves couldn't he like <laughs> Yes, now you say that. It's okay. Yes. Like, or, you know, 100 Thieves is definitely not a, a hoodie org, Thorin. They're definitely not a hoodie, hoodie org. They didn't just toss out the roster and the GM and the coaching staff that made back to back to back title or like championship matches and then won one title. So they made three finals in a row and won one of them. Uh, and they definitely didn't throw that all in the bin so that they could get Double Lips and Bjergsen to sell hoodies. Definitely yes. not. Also, I will just throw this out there just because it's just, it's just, this isn't even about the case anymore, guys. That's ended. We're on to the humor section of the show where Thorin talks shit and it's sort of funny and he says something slightly naughty, but it's not that naughty. And we all laugh. Ah, and then we all get base, 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 base. Right? I don't know why. Sorry, it sounded like Richard Lewis there, but I just did whatever. So here's the one thing I will say everyone knows that it already was awkward because Double Lift actually, it's totally fine to do this. He doesn't like it. He had disrespected Latigris. Previously, he said on his stream when he used to be a streamer, she is le cringeness. Now, this is how I know if you're fucked in the head and you only think Doublelift's a god and Latigris is an idiot. Wouldn't that mean if she interviewed him before this incident, he'd be the one who'd be awkward because he'd said something kind of rude about her and then would have to do his job in front of her? No, 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 because here's the thing. You know what Doublelift goes? Ha, le cringeness. I'll tell you what's mad cringe, Doublelift. Being the goat of a region, six times having the number one seed, never getting out of groups at Worlds, and the last time you went there, getting zero sixed the fuck out, and then you come back later. I want my millions of dollars. Where's all my money? You are cringe. You're fucking... The joke is, if I broke down your double helix chromosomes, homie, cringe would be the word. I don't even know if all those letters exist. <laughs> In uh, DNA. Some of them do. Well, whatever then. We'll make <laughs> it work, is do. the point. Yeah. He'd be the first ever one. Wow. He'd have the third helix. He'd be like an advanced human, but it'd just be pure cringe, just going right through the center there. That's all he is. I, cringe I mean, lift. It, it, there you go. It, it, is, it is wild. I think your tweet where you said that uh, Latigris is closer to being the best in the world at her role than Doublelift was, 
is that's very a pretty true. good joke. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good. Now, joke. I will say, obviously, look, the scale of battle players trying to do blocks. Yes, obviously, it's a bit low hanging fruit, but it's a good line, isn't it? It's a good line. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a good line um I, I yeah i think i think that his criticism given his own career and he, he comes as the greatest north american player of all time but he also never took any of the risks he had many times in his career where he could have competed internationally oh, for sure, he could yeah. have played in europe he could have maybe played in china at times he, he maybe not no joke guys he maybe could have played in korea Early By the way, career. I'm not joking. I think when they did that tweet once before they got reckless and went Perks, I actually think for real, if you know Carlos, Ocelot actually would have been up to bring Doublelift and put him in like Perks' spot. So I think that's, look, I don't think they ever actually did a, a thing on that, but I think for real, like that move could have happened. Or you could have been on the Fanatics for sure. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, we all know about the LCK one. I've no doubt he had LPL offers. Oh, sure. Um, so I think there were definitely points in his career where he could have taken a bigger risk and competed internationally, but he never did it. You know, he never did these things. He was he was very comfortable just. And by the way, what we're talking about is the era in his career before he started winning titles. Like th this was, you know, we're talking like 2014, 2013, 2015. He did win eventually win a title in 2015. Right. But this was a time where he wasn't seeing a lot of success in NA. So ostensibly, there was no real reason for him to stick around when he could have potentially competed at a much higher level in, in a different region. And <laughs> what's what great is I like the way no one left in the scene at this point actually defends Reggie anymore. Even TSM fans don't. There's just what somewhere in California, one really lonely, like f a Korean guy just going like, my heart will go on Reginald. Loco, of course. <laughs> Loco. <joke. laughs> the last man who ever defended him probably still to this day, I'm sure. He'd find a way. He'd find a way, wouldn't he? I don't know. <laughs> and, and by the way, it's so Loco Doka if you know him because he just like thrives on abuse, man. Oh, he mad. will make any excuse for his abusers. And you're, you literally, literally have conversations. I've had conversations with him where I think I'm going insane. I'm like, but Loco, this person is clearly, or this riot, riot is clearly abusing yeah. you. Yep. And he's like, but I just love it so much. I'm like, look, man, I can't solve whatever's going on in your brain right At now. All. <laughs> but I'm trying to help you. I am yeah. trying to help you. No, locals had the same problem LS did, which was when they would tell me like minor issues, but then they'd be like, but I'm not going to do anything about it, of course. I wouldn't want to make them upset. I'd be like, why you tell me then? I'm the guy you come to. And it's like, right, get the fucking horses and the shields and the men ready. Call the bannermen. We're going to war. It's like, no, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're doing it. Well, why are you coming to me with that then? Just fucking keep to yourself. <laughs> he just wants to complain <laughs> and then go back to being abused, um, which is also kind of how he existed on our shows. So you saw it. <laughs> Everybody yes. knows that this is true. But he was Lord for one year, I will say. He was once a Lord. He was, he once, was a once a Lord. A fallen lord. lord. Yes. Into into the the canyon of Web3 and crypto. Um, okay. So I, I will say, I even thought, you know, I'm not joking. He is, the, I didn't, it wasn't TSM and all the funny things. The first person I actually thought of when I saw all the markets crash, it was like, oh, of course, this is when local pivot his whole life into that field. <laughs> and, well, he's just the most unlucky guy of all time. Because like, if you don't know guys, he did like poker, but didn't fully work. And so I didn't, then he did the esports. It was going pretty well, but it wasn't. Then he did content. He was the only guy ever to have a billion fucking views. I was doing all those shows. We couldn't get a single fucking sponsor. Like, and then he's like, it's all right, guys, I'll go make a video game. I don't even know if he made the game or not. It was some like shit Starcraft game. And then lastly, he comes along. It's all right. I've decided to, uh, Hitch my sale to the master crypto. Everything's going up, Monty. 
<laughs> I actually feel bad because obviously people lost loads of money, but come on, Loco, come on, man. All I'm saying is this, Loco. If you're like, right, I'm going this way. I'm like, you know what? I'll wait till you get there. I'm, I'm heading the other direction. This, this is not a good look. Uh, I am I am actually low key before we get before we get uh, Papa Smithy on. I'm actually very low key excited about Hundred Thieves' recent performance, Thorin, because I I said I would be going all like Skip Bayless versus LeBron or Stephen A. Smith versus the Cowboys about double lift, and I am so happy. Oh, good. I am I am ecstatic. They're three and one right now. Yep. Because he's he's beating Spawn and Tactical. And their schedule has been so weak. They've literally played Dignitas, TSM, and Immortals, and they got absolutely clapped by yeah. Cloud9. So I am I'm just gonna be loving this hundred thieves versus FlyQuest game this next week. It's also great that Pop is here for this one because I can't wait to see Prince versus Double Lift because that is going to be a beautiful thing. And you're gonna see exactly Double Lift's current quality within that particular game. It's going to yes. be, it's going to be great guys. It's going to be great. So it is coming. We just, it's good that we're riding this high right now because the crash is going to be absolutely spectacular when it happens. I'll also just say this as a random statement. It's not that dodgy. Don't worry. One thing that I do feel really weird about though, there's nothing wrong with it. It's totally fine to have this as his name, but you know, the player who's his support, Busio. Busio, Busio, right? <laughs> the reason I have a problem with that, Monty, is because... Think of other words around this time period that sound a bit similar. Well, in English, in English, like slang, a thing that people do say is pussy or. So all I'm saying is think about, take that, add it to other things that, it just, I just feel a bit uncomfortable when I hear it, pussy or, you know. Just a bit, just something that sounds a bit strange about it, that's all. It's all good. It's all good. Apparently he, he he's really enjoying playing with this this guy. Um, but yeah, I, like I, a, I think standing like, young man, fair play. <laughs> I, I think we're, we're setting up for the Titanic fall coming in for a hundred thieves. I'm, I'm definitely here for it. I do think hundred thieves is going to be a playoff team. Like, don't get me wrong. They're, they're, they're solid in a way that, and especially with Dignitas being so garbage, they're going to be top four at least. Yeah, they should be, they should be absolutely fine. Um, yeah. I, I I am excited though. I'm, I'm I'm interested to hear Papa's very uh, measured and sober take on his relationship with Hundred Thieves on this show. <laughs> maybe maybe he'll give us some spice. Maybe he'll give us some spice because okay. there actually is a legitimate rivalry there, right? Is the thing <laughs> after being in the org for years. I'll ask you this. I'll say, do you do we just close and go to the Papa segment? Do I make a joke that slightly roasts him now before he comes on? Or do I do it old school SI and just do it when he comes oh, on? Oh, no, he's you fine. You can do it. Oh, that, yeah. Well, in that case, I'll hold. I'll hold on that one. But I'm going to start the next segment with some fire in the, in the, in the chamber. Put it out where. All right. Let's take, a, let's take a break. Let's get Papa on. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. Right, we're back. Our guest for this segment is going to be Papa Smithy, who is obviously one of the head figures over at FlyQuest now. Previously, before that, he was obviously one of the top commentators at the beginning in the LPL. It was more of an amateur broadcast. Then he worked in LCK for many years. He did World Finals, all the big tournaments. Then he came over to NA. He obviously did the 100 Thieves project, got him to those three finals. There was also the period before with the whole, you know, Rioma thing. But we don't talk about that anymore. That was, the key thing is you have to, there's a saying in sports, you have to learn how to lose to learn how to win. Hey, he, so what needed, he, did was, he was yeah. waiting for a green card. Taylor's <laughs> I mean, oldest time in America. There's truth in all those things. I think the truth is, is that with the information I had at the time and the budget we had at the time, 
I'd go back and do the same thing. Like, I think we got a really low roll of what could have happened there. Like, I think Tommy didn't play well in LCS. Like, that's obviously a fair cop to him. But moving with COVID just starting and, and all the realities there and just the mess that went on. Um, yeah, it didn't do what we wanted. But third in regular season in that spring season. Um, and yeah, there's a happy ending to it. But I don't cope too much about that time. Like, I take my L's with my dubs. You, you got to do yeah. that, you know? And then obviously at 100 Thieves, you had the championship with Abedag and you had two other finals. By the way, a couple of those, yeah, so those are some nicks. You, you stole a few from teams that may be better, but that doesn't matter. You got the finals. But all I'll say is this. At the end, I heard you sort of got a bit done over, a bit harshly, a bit sort of betrayed by 100 Thieves. Maybe they didn't deliver on stuff. All I'll say is this, on Papa, no honor among thieves. Do you know that? There's <laughs> no, no honor among thieves. You yeah, set yourself I mean, up for that one. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Look, I talked a bit about it publicly it's not something i want to like dredge up too much but no it's I not think... an lcs segment or anything so yeah <laughs> fair fair um <laughs> but, but ultimately like the ending was influenced by kind of budget scenarios and like even this roster that 100 thieves has is like a pretty incredible list of talent for kind of like the the situation going on there and obviously they had layoffs again recently so i think ultimately there's obviously some misgivings and hard feelings right with how things went but ultimately I'm excited to play them on, on Friday, right? I want to say Sunday, but that's not how things work. But I'm excited yeah, to play them on Friday. I do want to ask at the outset one question. I'll make it open-ended. You can answer however you want, mate. Which sure. is, when Monty made that tweet, which was a good Twitter dunk, is it actually accurate or was he just making like a funny connection? Like, if you'd have been at 100 Thieves, could you have made the same lineup you have now in FlyQuest for 100 Thieves? What does the word could mean in that sentence? Like it could mean a lot of things. you afforded it? Would the players have joined? No, we didn't have, we didn't have the budget for right. it. Okay. Um, it was just a good tweet then. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it's like, obviously the same, the, the level of talent we brought to FlyQuest this year is unique. Like the level of player that we're able to attract, you know, Prince, a top 580 in the world, top two, inarguably in summer, uh, regular season at least, and LCK, and um, Vikla, like a rising mid laner, like, I had multiple off-seasons. I knew how hard it was to draw even aspiring Korean mid laners, let alone top prospects. So I think Nick did a wonderful, wonderful job. I don't inflate my impact on this off-season at all. But oh, by the way, guys, to provide context, Nick is Nick Fan, who's Swagasaurus, who's the GM of FlyQuest, just so you guys are aware. He's been the GM for a long time. He's the guy who did a lot with a little money in terms of getting, uh, you know, budget rosters into finals and stuff like that. So he's actually been one of the better GMs. Did you rate Even him? Even signed Flame, so we know he's got brilliant taste. <laughs> sure, sure. So You'd be did, happy with did, that. You, did you rate him? Because obviously you were GM to GM, like battling, right? How did you rate him while, while you were at 100 Thieves? He was someone who in the space was always competent and was always looking to try and find advantage, even with little resources. And I think for those people... You just wait for the moment where the scenario changes. Like I think it's awesome that he has had an off season where he was actually supported financially in a way that could never happen under um, you know previous ownership here at FlyQuest. And I think he ran with it. And the initial list of names that we were looking at was the sort of list I look at, and I'm like, okay, from my experience, this is not the sort of like talent we can draw to a new project or a project that's kind of renewing their identity. And he did it all in one off season. So hats off to him. And we're kind of sipping champagne at the success right now.
So what was the also, By the way, I'll also give him one piece of credit as well that I think is underrated. Apparently, he is a smart man because he knew to sign Impact. Every other one just lets him go. I'm going to do a whole video on that one day. I'll never understand why all these orgs let that player go, man. I think you just like the centerpiece of like all the LCS championships is ridiculous. Well, I think I heard Impact wanted to leave EG. Uh, just, well, just there's, spoiler, there. Monty, spoiler, <laughs> I don't know if you've been following my content recently, everyone wanted to leave EG, everyone. Yeah. So yeah. that uh, might EG, be an extended not a very times. popular org among people within the industry. Check out my YouTube channel if you want right to see some, some amazing but, stuff. But yeah, um, but what was the what was the process of this offseason? Because usually there are certain dominoes that have to fall, and it feels like now is a good time where we're kind of removed enough from it that you could reveal it. Like, which were the first pieces signed? What convinced? Because you said that it had been hard in the past getting these these top Korean players slash prospects. So how did you convince Vikla and Prince to come over? Which players were signed first, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, we did a video on this. on our, It's on our YouTube channel, but I'll summarize. Basically, the first piece signed was Ayla. Um, you know, Ayla moving up from Team Liquid Academy. Probably the best performing support and maybe best performing player over the course of Academy last year and kind of sorely overdue for a spot. Um, that was like the first player that we'd agreed on. And from there, it was looking at what the options were. Um, Vickler was a target, like a top target for the team, for sure. And looking at his availability, and it was a buyout scenario with KT, um, was something that was simmering. But I think for us, um, the big thing was, and kind of when I joined, was kind of the already the tail end of the... LEC offseason, like if you guys remember, the LEC offseason went super fast. Um, and so looking into European talent wasn't really going to be possible. And so the questions were, do we go for available talent or do we kind of hold our nerve and, and test the Korean market? Because you get very, very limited information about what players are going to be open to international offers since uh, Korean teams don't allow their players traditionally um, in most cases to speak before the contract date whether it's like the 22nd of november i forget the exact date that it was this year um so given that um it was just kind of like understanding what our risk tolerance was and we thought the best possible high role would be to kind of sample what was available with korean teams uh, we were able to speak to kt early which was a big advantage to us um and kind of understand if there was going to be a deal involving Vikla. And at that time, there were eligible NA free agents, um, obviously Impact and Speaker Chief among them. And it was Bjergsen. kind of, and Bjergsen was there obviously as well, Double Lift as well, coming out of retirement and was speaking to teams. So there were these combinations and understanding, okay, what roles do we have as residents? Who are the import players? And even with the visible import players of like these players are, um, you know, potentially coming into free agency, we're not obviously sure which of them are going to be interested in our project. So it's a super, there was a lot of balls in the air and kind of where it landed was to me the best possible case of what was possible here at FlyQuest. And the last piece um, that was kind of the one that informed the roster was Prince finally communicating that yes, like FlyQuest was a roster when he heard the names, you know, Vickler in particular, but Impact as well, that gave him confidence to, uh, commit and that just put everything into place because there was other combinations that, with imports at different roles that had to be considered right like at the end of the day um i think that nick got the high role i think nick got the like s plus roster that you 
if people don't know in the offseason, a GM kind of has to have like 10, 20 permutations of if this player is available, if the resident's available in this role, then we have to compensate in that role when it comes to imports. Like, I think we got the biggest possible high role as it all came together. And a lot of it was fortuitous. A lot of it was timing. And a lot of it was, oh, you got that guy? I'm now interested. Um, and so the butterfly effect led to these five. And I couldn't be happier. It's also really interesting because you haven't even had the full roster yet because Ayla hasn't been there and you've had Winsome who's been performing really well. So it it feels like you even have redundancy uh, within this roster because if anything, Ayla would be the most unknown player and Winsome is coming in and performing already with Prince at a high level and he speaks Korean. So you, you, in a way, have a safeguard even if, if i if ayla performs poorly for whatever reason you have a tested quantity now in winsome that you know is is clearly capable of i mean it appears capable of winning the lcs you completely dumpstered cloud nine this last week and they were your biggest rival it would appear in the early early days like flyquest is a team that seems head and shoulders at the moment above the rest of this league I think on stage, that has been the reality. I think the quality in, on stage is, is a big elevation over what we do in scrims. I think some people think a lot of us because there's a lot we need to test. There's a lot that needs to be stress tests, a lot of language stuff that we're kind of learning scrim on scrim. So I think the, the, the step up from scrim to stage, you don't know that before you actually play your first stage games. And we're obviously only four games into stage, but seeing the stage performance of players like Impact and Prince um, compared to kind of just trying to make sense of, of scrims. And everybody knows that scrims are solving for many different things. It's not about who wins. It's about um, whether you're progressing on the goals that you set for that week. Um, and then also the stage drafts. I think Song is someone who's sorely undercredited for... A strong start. It makes sense. We have five new players on the roster, so a lot of shiny different things to be excited about. But I think drafting-wise, especially the C9 draft, there was a lot that was set up there that is being slammed down by the strong players we have. So a lot of um, a lot of credit to diffuse among um, the players and stuff. I mean, to me, the the wildest part is not that you got Prince because you guys had money to throw around, right? And there was there was a possibility that you would be able to get players like Prince or Vikla when you're paying better than any of the LCS teams, right? But the real he wasn't on a top team in terms of the orgs, so I thought he was getting like insane money in Korea, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he had good offers in other regions in China and stuff to be sure, but it depends on what you you know if you want to live in China or not, which is a big one, and what your goals are. but and especially, I mean, I think we can think of at the end of last year when these players were signing, when all of the COVID lockdowns were still happening, maybe China was not an attractive destination for a lot of these professional players. Obviously, that's that's changed pretty significantly right now. But you have to take quality of of living into effect. Right. Um, but the, to me, the craziest part is you guys got the world champion coach at the end. Seemingly arbitrarily, like how did that particular part coming together because the fact that this guy was available is just so fucking wild to me and i think that was wild to us too um ultimately changing coaching staff wasn't a priority coming into the offseason especially when there was no guarantee that um we'd be going down like a majority korean speaking roster um as that became apparent it's like okay we need to get a you know a korean voice on the team, ideally someone who's bilingual and who can carry some of the cultural elements of, especially these 
Korean players who've never played in the West before. And we were very happy with our coaching staff. You know, we had uh, Sharks as head coach, Richard as assistant coach. Um, and we're looking to supplement that, but definitely not in a way to bring in a new head coach. And then it came to the point where the roster was complete. We were shopping around. And what you would have noticed is, is a lot of LCK teams picked up ex-pro players um, in, in kind of elevated titles and in greater quantities than ever before. Um, if you remember last year when Score was announced as the new Gen G coach, that was something that was actually caused a minor uproar in the scene just yes. because Korean fans were like, oh, he's never head coached and a he's team been before. In the military he's never even years. been a coach. He's been in the military <laughs> recently. He's been playing solo queue and aspiring towards seeing if he can be a player again. And you're bringing him as direct entry head coach. That's crazy um, because this is not how things are done in Korea. Traditionally, you, you know, you do your apprenticeship um, as a second or third tier coach and then work your way up to a higher spot. But this year, a lot more pro players are being elevated into head coaching spots, I assume inspired by how well um, Score did and Genji did with him a year earlier. And so the sort of coaches that would have made sense as an assistant coach were being snapped up or not available to us. And the the, the coach that fell to us and, and didn't seem to have too many other compelling options just because of how late in the offseason it was, was was Song, which is surreal, right? Um, there's no other way to put it. And to see his impact Especially already. because he's been in LCS before for many years. So I imagine his English is probably pretty decent at this point in time. And he's used to working in the LCS and living in Los Angeles. So there's very few unknowns. And it's also crazy because DRX was a team that had to be well coached to win. Like they had to be more than the sum of their individual parts. They had to be creative in these drafts at Worlds. They had to be surprising. They had to be innovative. They had to have their emotions in check on some of these matches where they, they you know, they're incredibly tilting circumstances on DRX's run. Where like, how do you, I mean, Deft coming back after that, like inhib incident or the, uh, I mean the, the, uh, the Nexus incident at worlds was really crazy that they were able to bounce back in that series. And all of that to me points to the fact that this guy was extremely integral and for him to just completely wash out of the LCK after doing all of these things that he did is, is surreal. I think there's always a player or a coach that plummets out of kind of the top, team stratosphere each offseason and for some reason it was song this time and i don't know how much of that was drx kind of like mulling over whether they were sticking together or departing and all the players going in different directions like i can't speak to that but ultimately we get a guy straight off his career peak achievement of world championship who has a bone to pick because obviously song's tenure in the lcs was front loaded when it comes to positivity the imt roster um six years ago now, um, under Nick Fan, amusingly. Um, and the struggles afterwards at the subsequent, I believe, three teams are still fresh in the mind. The fact that he hasn't picked up a domestic title win as a head coach, people might not remember, but he was assistant coach for the Rocks Tigers when they won LCK um, in summer 2016. Last time we casted together, actually, with the Doa Monty. Um, is... Is it still something that he's serious about? He wants to come back to the LCS and show that it's not a paycheck for him, that it is time for him to start stacking up his CV. And I've been very, very impressed with his acumen so far. I think the angle that's also no, missed no, 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 is no. The, hold up, hold up. On his, on his resume, he wants to come back yep. to the LCS to win a title after yep. he wins a world championship. Yeah. That's so fucking absurd. 
I think it's because people <laughs> look. The grass is always greener, and people always, in my experience in competitive, and I'm a bit like this too. Is like you want to be able to shut up the haters and the doubters and the things you have imposter syndrome about. And a world champion can it. still a world champion can still have imposter syndrome. My favorite ever. My favorite ever content Riot made was the duos video with Crown and, and Core, right? When, uh, I think it's 2019, where they talk about, where Crown talks about winning worlds and then still not feeling that like career high or that justification that would make it all worth it. And I don't, I don't want to speak for Song in that case, but I know that he looks at that gap and thinks a lot about it, just like Ruler clearly did about winning the LCK after winning Worlds so many years ago. So that's I'm the person that benefits directly from that. So I'll take it, right? <laughs> it's too funny. Also, the other thing to me is this. He's not coming back like he did into those teams. Those teams would have like one Korean. TSM was no Koreans. It was all Western players. The actual angle that no one has ever tried, ever, is an all, is a majority Korean team with a Korean coach. People did it all separately. They went, right, Korean players must be the best, right? Get Pigler, get all these guys in. Oh, I mean, they can be pretty good, but they can also be worse than LCS. Oh, what's going wrong? Get all the coaches in, get Kane in, get the song in, get all these. Oh, they're just not as good when they're here, though. No one's tried, with the exception now, actually, of Team Liquid with Marin, yep. actually having a majority team and the Korean coach, because logically the culture fit can potentially travel they're going to, he can take the majority Korean players and they are going to be on the same page. It's not the same as like the, in the first battle of the Western coach with the Korean players, right? How do I find the middle ground? How do I understand who this guy is? How do I actually learn how much can I ask from him? What am I, so I think that's the angle that I'm really excited for because it's the first time we've actually had sort of like the whole approach because that's been done in LPL a lot of times if people don't know. And it's worked a lot of times as well. It's been one of their secrets as well. So I think that's like a very cool angle to look for on the LCS, even though, as we said at the beginning, the actual song move sort of went under the radar compared to the, the names like Prince, etc. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. I mean, for us, we're not looking to transition to become a full Korean-speaking roster um, like TL is. But obviously, there's like very big personalities and star players who are Korean speakers first and foremost. I think, to me, the the thing that's the most surprising is is like Prince next to someday is like the player who's come to NA at the the peak of his powers, um, Court as well to some degree. Uh, when he joined TL in 2019. And so to get a player like that here and to get a super mechanically talented rookie mid laner and uh, a coach whose biggest compliment you could pay to him is that he was a clutch drafter. I think that DRX's draft adjustments and how they played on a settled patch were the praises were sung and, and deservedly so for what he was able to do there. So I know that the the angle there is important. Um, and to some degree, having Sharks as our head of coaching to kind of ensure that the the cultural side and the cultural bridge between the players that naturally exist when you have um, a multicultural roster is there alongside just an astute drafter in Song is, you know, just smart staff construction. Um, I will say that, again, we just do kind of have overwhelming player power. Like, we just really do have talented players. So... I still think there's going to be some volatility in our regular season results, and I think that's all fine. But in terms of once it's all completely in sync, like this is still beta testing for us, but once it's all completely in sync, our, our players are fucking good. And I think that's the part that hypes me the most. 
Let's go one step further then, because the other thing I have to say about LCS that did sap my interest to watch the league each year, someone who has no actual, beyond this show, financial reason to watch the league. I actually have none at all. I can do all my content about LEC now. The joke is it get the same hits. The main thing that used to make me upset was I would see all the rosters and I would be like, even if that ends up actually being the best NA team, like they can't do anything in the playoffs at Worlds. They can't do anything at MSI. They're not going to beat RNG or T1. This is one of the rare times where at the beginning, I actually do look at the lineup and I'm like, if everything goes well and things all come together, the piece, you've got the coach, you've got the stars, even like the, this is the other one that kills me. Normally, there is always going to be one lane will get crushed internationally. If impact ends up being the weaker lane and the other, he's made his whole career doing that. He's constantly been able to compete. I actually think, look, you can't say too much now because you'll look silly, obviously, if it goes to the pot. But I am, I'm, I think this is one where I'm projecting forwards. Like, when I think of the MSI tournament with those two NA spots and the double limb format, a lot of players have there. I think of Worlds. Like, I think this is another team where you can potentially, if things go well, be hyped for, like, actual international parity. That you have to construct rosters to do well in your region, but the qualities that do that will do well internationally. And I know that that's something that's been debated in the past and there's players who haven't been able to live up to that potential, but I do feel like we have players who are not going to be humbled on the world stage um, in our construction. I think that has to make you wonder, has to make you excited, has to make you cast forward to those two spots to go to MSI with a strong format and potential double elimination and see what it's all about. And yeah, there's no, currently right now, there's no red flags to suggest that we're going to have any issues boot camping or getting better if we get to an event like that. I just don't want to, you know, trip over my shoelaces and, and cast forward too much because we're still in an extension of the honeymoon phase. It's still very relatively early in the yes. dynamic of the group and in, in the yes. dynamic of the regular season. This is not the LEC. We're not two thirds of the way through the round robin phase or I guess single round robin in um, LEC. So there's going to yes. be challenges around the corner. Um, and I'm excited to see how these guys will face up to them. Because if we get to those opportunities, when we get to the best of fives, that's when we're going to see the true quality yes. and character of this team. The problem and is there's some people out there, some GMs, they're already planning to activate at Worlds before they've even done anything domestically. You know? <laughs> I mean, look, they you, know who they are. You, you're raking over the coals. Someone who, like had to justify their financial spend with activations, right? Like that's just, that's, that's what Steve had to do. Like, it's rough. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I am. I mean, I I'll, listen, to... Papa, I will just say, mate, I won't shed a single tear for him wasting other people's money. <laughs> if it was his money, you know what? I'd, I'd go fair play. You put it, that, that was someone else's money, homie. So yeah, he should actually have, guess what? I think that's what should happen. It was I know people like Lena might not know this. When you have millions of dollars of other people's money, you should probably be responsible with it. I don't know. Because like the whole thing about that uh, that TL roster last year was the reason they were able to construct it with and have a $6.9 million budget was because they sold it to their sponsors and their sponsors liked it. So Wasn't we, it really 6.9? Yes. Well, in the end, everyone got <laughs> fucked in the head. <laughs> so... Um, uh, I mean, the, the reason they were able to get that budget together was because they could go to their sponsors and say, hey, do you guys want to pay more money in order for us to get this roster? And they said yes. So it was sponsor money. It wasn't even VC money, I, I, I don't think. I think the reason why they were able okay. to get that 
was because they, the, the sponsors themselves were excited by it. So in that case, I think we can joke about it, but why not take the swing for the home run? Because we said the, the same thing we're saying about FlyQuest now last year, which is like this team on paper of Team Liquid should have been able to do some very real damage internationally with the roster that they have. Um, it didn't end up that way, and it started rocky. I mean, we can look at the using the eye test, we can say, FlyQuest looks a fuckload better right now than Team Liquid did when they when they were at the similar point last year. Um, so it probably won't end up the same way. And also the talent on this roster is is pretty crazy from a mid and AD position for FlyQuest. I think there's a there's an argument to be made that Prince is the best import ever in LCS. Uh, when I mean, it comes in light to, of the fact that he's only played four beer once, but yeah, okay. right. In, in the context, we'll, we'll get yeah. It's going okay. well so far. Obviously, we're not gonna okay. we're not gonna give Prince. The only the thing crown is, though, I will yet. say the joke there, Papa, is Monty meant that as a totally genuine piece of analysis, but himself inadvertently donked on Team Liquid harder than I did. <laughs> Think about it. How did their <laughs> off season go? If it's not the World Championship, I'm just then. providing context. You could, you yeah, can no, you're right. right. It's all good. It's all good. It's but, all good. But I. I'm saying, and when I when I put it, it's this him way, or call JJ. Let's be real. It's 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 when I say Prince is the best import ever. I mean not that there have been other imports. Like Bjergsen was obviously very good, but Bjergsen didn't come in on the high. Like this is the most like in terms of right. level. His career is peaking. He's coming the in, top right. like okay. coming in at a at a very high point. It does I don't want to. Like I don't want to like under undersell my boy. Like Prince is a, a stud. I, I will say that I think someday was inarguably a top five mid laner in the world when he joined Dignitas. Um, and I think that Prince was an arguable top five AD in the world when he joined FlyQuest. So I think that to me, someday was like solid gold example. I think that especially form wise at the end of regular season, I think it would be very, very close um, on the Prince side. But I think... What I will say is, is that Prince's ability to integrate already and speak strong English and kind of be a emotional center for the team alongside his play, that there's less cultural barriers with him than there was with Someday, who okay. you remember Someday when you He's were casting introverted. in Korea, he was very introverted. He was known for like tweeting out after matches, um, you know, looking for support for the fans. Like he, he very much rode the energy of the fans when he was on KT. Like that was a crazy move for him. Like he was so close to um being the best top player in the world and he like went against his culture with no english to north america i think prince was someone who was always going to be a slam dunk in the yeah. west i, I know That's you believed in a cadral <laughs> wolf like everybody knew that if he was to come to na and want to yeah. make it work like he's the exact correct personality so i think he's been unlocked early and he's been able to show his level earlier than someday who kind of yeah. had that more rough adjustment yeah. period and then my only like, other point is like core is the other name people will bring up i actually think core had a really poor 2018 by his standards before he came over yeah. but he instantly was like way better than his 2018 form in an inferior league in 2019 which is like its own kind of wonderment that he was able to do that so those are the three names and i don't think when it comes to like you say entry level into the league you could go past those three names for the lcs yeah good point i mean it's, this is why it's a good have, to have the conversation with you knowing the history of all of the the imports and having worked with you know a couple of them two yourself. out of three yeah two out of exactly. three um but it, he you know prince reminds me a lot more of reaper where if you just know reaper's personality reaper's very well set up for western culture because reaper is 
Amazing he's not coaching now, though, dude. I think that's mental. Why is he not in the LCS <laughs> he now? Is, he is coaching. He's the coach and CGO yes. of oh, Sengoku right. Gaming. Yeah, he's in LJL now. I'm not um, shit about that. <laughs> I, I think I think Reaper, you know, Reaper is a person though who I, I was very confident was going to succeed in terms of coming over and coaching in the West because of his personality and because he is like very blunt. Um, I mean, he's he's a blunt person by any standard, but he's like yes. eerily blunt by by Korean standards, right? And I love that about Reaper. Like I I adore Reaper's personality. Um, but Prince, you know, Mate, it I, looked I, like I, in the playoff game fives, he was hitting the blunt before those drafts. <laughs> Fucking hell. Whatever. Just an old thing. my time. Before my time. It's an old thing. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, but uh, but when we when we when we um when we talk about Prince and I, I messaged Papa and I was like, oh man, this guy's gonna do great in North America because he was already kind of talking shit in Korea. And I know you can really unleash this guy in the West. Like you can feel that he wants to do this and that he is a very outgoing person. And he has a, a flair of showmanship and a fire and drive that's like it's charismatic. And he's so it's gregarious, not only right? he's very gregarious, like he's very yep. sociable, like he'll go around to our business stuff and say hello and kind of like accost them or have fun with them, even though English is still a developmental thing for him. Um, and he's super down to shine a spotlight on himself and make himself like the most accountable person to a win or like, you know, uh, set himself up for a fall, knowing that he's skilled enough and confident enough to take that on. Like he's, He's kind of a one of a kind in that way. So I definitely see the similar qualities to how Reaper is as a person with Prince. And it's exceeding, exceedingly rare for especially a Korean who's usually going to be a lot more self-conscious about those things. I think Prince is just always going to launch himself in 100%. And, you know, at worst, he slips on a banana peel and picks himself up. And at best, he's just a star. So how... I. When we've seen players come over in the past, there has been like kind of a slow degradation of individual ability by coming to North America and having kind of a lackluster practice environment. Uh, now, it's too early to, to see that yet, because obviously these players are still riding the high of like a very intense practice environment in Korea. You guys did a Korean boot camp prior to the LCS. Uh, what are your ideas for how to stop the slide of being in North America through throughout the year for players that are at the level that Prince and Vicla are currently playing at? There's certain parts of it that just you have to deal with the realities of the situation. Um, the reality is, is obviously the scrim opponents we have or the scrim opponents we have, we don't have the ability to pivot to other complementary regions that are similar levels of skill like you can in Korea with LPL and, and other regions that are around. Um, so I think there is going to be the need to set up a strong internal culture of accountability and, you know, taking scrim seriously. I think that's still a point that we have some, um, work to do. And then having, again, this cultural mix of people between the West and the East, um, and fully getting through that and setting ourselves up for a bootcamp mentality. Like the thing that takes FlyQuest over the hump if we do qualify for an MSI to actually performing at a tournament like MSI or Worlds is the ability to hit a Korean bootcamp or a pre-MSI bootcamp of two weeks and understand the world meta 
and level ourselves up with better competition fast. And I think some teams have gone internationally and done that very, very well. Traditionally, Cloud9, obviously, has been kind of the biggest benefactors of doing something like um, play-ins or getting the most out of a bootcamp. And then, you know, TSM 2020 at Worlds would probably be like the worst example of really atrophying when under that different level of pressure. And that's not a pressure we can simulate in North America. It's just not the reality of the scenario here. So even again, we're skipping steps and assuming that everything comes together, but setting up a culture of accountability and um, everybody on the team being able to understand their role that can kind of be flexible to higher and lower levels of competition is a work in progress that we're already thinking about. By the way, that's why I am also so hyped for MSI, because if you think about the way MSI goes, as long as people can just avoid the smaller regions and you can just get into the playoffs, the double limb factor means no matter what your result there is, the same lineup can go to Worlds. You could have like two best of fives against Asian teams. You could have a best of five against European. You could have so much experience that was impossible to get before. Because remember, the old format meant it was always like China, Korea, except that one time CLG got Flash Wolves, helped them out, and they got that finals. It meant you you only ever got the one BO5, and that was that was just the champion of the region. So the difference now for the NA teams could be huge, I think, when we come to Worlds. I mean, MSI was just a bit of a Mickey Mouse tournament. Like, nobody was hyped about it. You know, GMs and, and people... It's basically I just Korea versus China. Who's better, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, yes, effectively. But what I mean is, is like, people, when they qualified, weren't hyped to go. You yes. know, like, that's like, they're like, oh, now I don't have a break and there's this tournament. And like, what will I really take from it? It's going to be like multiple patches removed from uh, summer and the break after the tournament to summer, even if you, you know, crater out in groups or, or quarterfinals is very short there just wasn't a lot going for it and i think when you get there also there's going to be limited scrim opponents usually unless you're in korea and the teams are still practicing in the off season so there's just like there was so many asterisks that everyone wasn't super hyped about and now the format is so much more robust um and i imagine there'll be erl and other teams over in london um you know or in you know europe uh to compete against uh, this should be a very vibrant, very exciting team, uh, exciting tournament to be a part of. So suddenly, you know, doubling the seeds doesn't seem like it's going to change much. But with that and also the format being reinforced, I think teams are now looking at it and, and aspiring to go. I mean, I've already said, but I think it will be considered the best tournament of the year. Yeah, I, I think given the format, it's going to be probably the most exciting. And it's nice to that we're actually going to see some meaningful competition, not only between more Asian teams, but we get to see probably a lot more competition between North America and Europe, which is just exciting for everybody to watch. Uh, I also think, you know, part of the reason when we, when we go back to leveling teams up for Worlds, I think part of the reason NA fared so poorly at Worlds this year was because the tournament was in NA. And there wasn't time this year for teams to go to Asia to boot camp. So what ends up happening is all of the Asian teams just sit around in Asia, you know, LPL and LCK teams all scrim each other, right? And then they come to they come to NA a week before, and then the NA teams have just been sitting around NA, the EU teams have just been sitting around Europe, and the Western teams just get absolutely dunked on. It is so much better for foreign teams when the when worlds is in asia because you can go there in advance to practice and actually catch up a little bit prior to the tournament starting one of the perversion is a weird, strong word to use but it's like one of the things that's so clear 13 years into this you know circuit is that the more that you are um globally 
restricted from competing against the best teams, the faster you have to catch up. So if you lose that two-week boot camp, you know, in Korea or against the teams that are in the tournament, and it becomes, I think we had like five days of low ping games. Like we tried to scrim from uh, LA to Mexico with the play-in teams, and that there were like connection issues. One day it was like 70 ping, the next day it was 200, so we couldn't play. Um, you know, Mithy talked about this extensively in the past a lot, and it's something that I think fans roll their eyes at, which is fair enough to some degree. Um, the truth is, is like, I look at the LEC format, right? And two teams crater out and it's, if they were believing in their guys, they do have three weeks to send them over to Korea right now to train up before spring season starts. And those sort of opportunities where with money, which obviously North America has always had and used for different means, you can go out and do a Korea bootcamp or do a bootcamp in general and get a different practice environment and get ahead. Um, with the way the schedule was, that's not even possible. Like money doesn't impact that. It's just about scheduling and time and things like that. So finding ways to get access to the best competition is something you always want. So I think it's a fair shake to say that that being removed kind of um, softened the advantage of having this theoretical home field advantage in North America where I, mean, I don't think the whole scrims worse. is relevant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's relevant because, uh, you know, typically I, I just don't see for, well, first off, all the fans were LPL fans in, in North America as we, as we learned at some of these venues, right? So there wasn't, I mean, it really was an LPL uh, home field advantage in many ways, not for NA teams. And the NA teams were all, you know, eliminated so quickly that those fans were, you know, not not relevant to the bracket results, right? Um, but yeah, I I'm I'm also from from like regarding practice and continuing down this line. There's been a lot of talk recently, and I've been watching some of Artemis, the the old one of the old EG mm -hmm. coaches, his his ideas about the scrim schedule. And as somebody who has set up the scrim schedule, you guys went from the one best of not best of five, one five game scrim block a day to now these two three game scrim blocks. Is this something that you were on board with? Do you think this has actually helped the practice environment? Or is it just, is it hurting? Is it not making a difference? What's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, it's something that has been a refrain for a couple of years because people are always looking for just a more convenient reason for kind of regional lack of competition. And I it's think that it was... me because it's the answer is just there aren't as many teams to practice against and the solo queue is there aren't as many people playing the game. So it's harder to get good practice. Why do we have to sure. find all of these other reasons? Because that's so empty and defeatist, right? When you're well, you in North America. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're unfixable. So like, you're, you're right, but like, is it, are you going to have self-respect or the ability to speak out if you just, you know, the solution is to like sit there and, and try to just re-examine how you kind of like one hand clapping solve the scrim problem and things like it's you need something right like the, everyone needs an outlet and the outlet is the current outlet is scrim schedule um because look there are trade-offs with doing five games in a row versus doing two blocks like when you go to korea and scrim in korea you know as we were a month ago i guess two months ago um the two block system feels great because you play three games it's i don't know 4 4 30 p.m and then you're in Seoul. So your options are, do I want to go out to some walkable, delicious food? Korean solo queue is going to have a lower queue time by a lot compared to North American solo queue. Um, 
solar queue is vibrant there till 4 a.m so a lot of the korean pros you guys will if you do time kind of like conversion especially when t1 was streaming very publicly on twitch like they're playing till 3 a.m 4 a.m uh, i forget what the cutoff time is one of those two and so they'll play first block yeah, out of bed kind of scenario and then nap for a couple of hours like there's a lot of compelling uses of like a two two and a half hour break i think in north america when it's 3 30 4 p.m your options of how to valuably use that time are more limited and people will suggest things who are outside of teams and there's like always partial validity to them like oh you could use your academy team for this and that but those schedules aren't even complementary like academy is playing when lcs like stage games when lcs is either on break or um you know first day back and things like that it's not like their schedules are um aligned actually one of the things i asked right a few years ago was to sack academy viewership so that academy could be like on a similar time scale and actually be available as a training partner and not even every org set up their academy team to solve that goal um so the reality is is that scrim schedule changing if you could control for all the other variables could be great but i personally wasn't like a fan of it when tsm was proposing it two years ago now or for the 2022 season i, I know that um uh, that's been talked about publicly recently. Case was was tweeting about it. Um, and when a couple of people approached me at the start of this offseason, obviously I'm no longer a GM and like my opinion is a lot more just accumulation of time rather than like trying to step up and have a voice. Um, I was like, sure, you, it's fine to try. Um, and if it works, it works. But it's not set up to succeed in North America like it is in Korea. So I had healthy skepticism that kind of having this longer day was actually going to solve for the things that it says it's going to solve for. I've got a couple of things I want to chuck out there. So I'll be the person you just spoke about who's an outsider who just throws something out there. Maybe it doesn't work or it's just not feasible, but you just have an idea because I, I don't have to live it through. Do I don't have to make it happen? It's not logistics I have to worry about. There's two obvious things I would do. One, I've always thought this is one of the silliest things because it's the riot circuit that keeps teams apart. If you watch CSGO, mate, Every region can, in theory, rise if they can just attend the tournaments. It's actually about you have the money to travel and do you have a qualifier? They often do, by the way. So then it becomes things like you, you do the same thing. You hire a coach for your Chinese team from the European team, the European meta. You get in a few tournaments. If you get three in a row that are in the summer in Europe, you go a month early, you boot camp with all the other teams. You play a few online cops. You get your reps in. It's like doing the Ultimate Worlds boot camp and you're able to level up. So two things I would do is, one, if I was Riot, look, they obviously have a very different perspective than me but years ago it was obvious to me that if you own remember they didn't even used to be an msi you used to just go to korea it used to be back in the day just a two-week boot camp and that included the first week of getting all your sleep together you just go for a two-week boot camp straight into worlds back then by the way if t1 and rocks beat your ass in the first day of practice you don't even get to play them anymore now you're playing fifth best lck team teams from vcs you know you already you, your practice isn't even the dream practice you want we didn't have Korean coaches as often back then. You didn't have the in. You didn't have the connection of like, hey, come on, guys, give me like a give me a scrim block here. Throw me a bone. So one, if I was Riot, if I actually cared specifically about LCS and LEC being better, I would have designed the yearly calendar to just have some more open sections where you could do regular boot camps. Say every two months, you could go for a week. Every three months, you could go for a week. Well, I'd do that because that's an obvious way to sort of like give you some. You can sort of maintain and you see where the meta's at. You can test yourself. You can 
can go back home and go, and then the other one is this. And I'll let you, you can say what you like about them. The other one is this. When I hear all these stories and I watch the documentaries, those reality series people do about their teams, people are still doing the VOD review with the whole team in the room of the game we just played and it's us or it's our next opponent. This is some. This is like the way they would coach baseball like 100 years ago. Here's what I would do in the modern day because there's a story in CSGO where the first Brazilian team to become world champions were in an inferior region, NA. They would essentially practice differently. They got to go to Europe all the time anyway, so the region wasn't a problem. And they would spend twice, before majors, twice as much time on theory as playing the game because they knew I'm playing worse teams. Now, here's what I would do in the modern day. Half my theory would be just taking the best LPL and LCK VODs and breaking that down with the players. And then lastly, I wouldn't do it as a team. I would break down things. I, the joke is last year, I'd have been showing like the my ADC, I'd have been showing Berserker all the Prince VODs and all the ones of, of uh, Ruler and all these. And I'd have been working with him in the same way as if you're in the NFL, you don't waste the time of the defense listening to what the wide receivers do on his route or the running back. Like it's So what do you think of these aspects? Obviously, I'm just throwing them out there. So for the first one, I think the most important thing to spell out is that you're solving for Riot, or you're ascribing Riot to solve for North America and European team international competitiveness at international events. Yes. That's not what Riot should solve for in their eyes. That's not what they're motivated to do. Just like when people like scrap spring season, it doesn't matter, and run an open circuit and then... Um, you know, do a summer season if you have to have a league. Like, okay, but spring season has higher viewership than summer season because people have less um, less competition for their time when it so comes to spring versus stuff. summer because yeah, they're sure. not on holidays. They're at yes. university. So, like, guess what? They're motivated to get the highest average viewership or minutes viewed or whatever the latest statistic is. That's going to happen in spring. That's going to be the thing that they sell to sponsors. That's going to make this um seen viable and or profitable whatever the word is from riot's pov so they're not solving for that so they're not doing that obviously we could go back to season two and have everybody boot camping for mlg and you know all the stories about how gambit gaming were always able to peak at the right time because they understood how to have like work-life balance and be like super off-season mode then super boot camp mode before they went to an iem and things like that like that's that is not the ecosystem we exist in so that's not supported. Just like, um, that's just the reality of where we're at. So a lot would have to deconstruct for that to change. That's why I'm kind of interested to see what Excel and Fnatic do in terms of, do they go and do an international bootcamp? Is it just more going to be about roster changes? Like I, I, I don't have insight there. Um, and to your second point um, about training strategies, I think that's a really interesting thing. And it's something I've thought a lot about. Um, I think that Reaper's strategy when he was head coach was the the, the review. Well, like when the t especially when the team was in a good kind of clip and there wasn't as much like band-aids that needed to be applied, he would have a short team review about one thing that he thought needed to improve about the team, like five to 10 minutes. And then we had Mythian Freeze as assistant coaches last year. Then they were able to go and do their one-on-ones with bot lane or in the mid laner and things like that and bring in concepts from other areas. Um, and I think that's when a team's in form and when, uh, you know, later in the year, like for us, that wouldn't work right now because there's a lot of like, you said this and I half understood it because it's, you know, 
not the best English phrase or, you know, use the Korean word for this. And that confused me. Like that's, we're, we're still at that stage, right? That we're not at the point where that's viable for us. But in the future, um, I'm a big fan of that. And I'm a big fan of bringing in concepts and going over them. But again, it's worth noting um, and I have a presentation to players about kind of social media stuff later today, so I know this. It's a lot of players learn by doing. A lot of players um, can only use VODs as like inspiration to go play like immediately afterwards rather than sit there and kind of sift through the info and like work through the theory and talk it out. That doesn't work for every player. Um, so for the players who it doesn't work for, you have to kind of bring them to the trough to drink and you kind of have to compromise a little bit and for the players it does work with you kind of let it um let it kind of sift through so i think there's definitely elements to it and i feel like every org does it differently and the balance is always different but you're right in that there are definitely days where you play six meaningless scrims when no one learned anything and if anything you developed bad habits where afterwards especially as a gm where you're not like in their review on review kind of going through the emotional baggage that that creates you're like okay so what do we achieve today it seems like nothing from the outside so for sure there's work to be done there's definitely not uh the correct balance on these things yet duncan i mean i also think that a lot of the complaints have been that the lack of availability for drilling because the tools just don't exist like riot hasn't created necessarily the tools to like replay from certain game states or I mean, they create... famously said they didn't want those tools to exist yeah, they, they actually didn't. said it would be unfair so <laughs> i mean they no, it's all, they all these problems the riot makes a decision at the beginning of the chain does like papa says sets up a whole scene and then they're like i'll unravel the whole thing it's like, i didn't make you do it in the first place mate that doesn't work for me. But there's times where Riot says stuff like that, and I don't even know if they believe it when they say it out loud. Like, I think they're just trying to, like, meet the fans where they are or have a convenient thing that, like, heads off a conversation. Because, like, that is just utter bullshit. But someone said it, so that's the whole position of the company. And you know there are people below that public statement seething about it. So, yeah, I mean, it was said out loud, but I think it was bullshit even at the time. <laughs> I mean, the reasoning was crazy. They thought the practice tool would create more toxicity. <laughs> that people would tell each other in solo queue to go practice and practice tool and that that somehow would hurt people's feelings. <laughs> but I mean, moving on beyond that, uh, they did make it. And But I'm just saying the drilling aspect of this game is it makes it difficult to get meaningful practice a lot of times because you can't actually drill in ways that a professional athlete would, for example. Like you have to play an entire game. Um, and you can't always even control your practice because you go into a solo queue game and you're like, well, I need to practice this really broken champion. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> you're like, well, how, how the fuck do I do this now? Right. Or it's like, I want to experiment with this champion at this position. Oh, all my teammates are now tilted in solo queue and they're running it down because they think I'm trolling. Right. No, in CS, we also, because the game naturally is more open to community sort of interaction, not the same way Counter-Strike itself was, but it's essentially you're allowed to run your own servers and to, to put your own things on there, things you can't do in League of Legends. They also, in CSGO, years ago, invented all these tools. Like, the joke is, what you have as a sandbox mode, every single pro in CSGO for the last, like, seven years warms up on a thing where it's just loads of bots at all different distances, and they headshot them all for, like, 20 minutes. That's just to warm your aim up. Then you have, like, retake servers where you just do retakes on the bomb when it plants and you defend and you retake. The, back in the day, it was shortly lived, but my agent even had a company that briefly was going called Boomio, where they invented a thing where it would even put you in two spots where you'd take certain duels on a map in Counter-Strike. And there was like 
10 of these variations on a map and it would just generate you through these particular cycles. So you take turns, but taking each of the fights you would take in a game against an opponent in the same spot. So like these concepts, there are ways to actually sort of like make a, make a sort, like we're saying, to streamline the practice, to practice exactly what you want specifically. I mean, you'll know this from, if you know StarCraft, like in StarCraft, every single Zerg player played that map where you had, I forget the names of the the things now, but the if everyone knows the Zerg air unit, what was that called? The one that fired the like little missiles down. And then the anti-air was the one that would fly into it, the Scourge and blow it up. Scourge they and would, the Mutalisk. Mutalisk. They would, there was a map that was just you flying Mutalisk and the Scourge chasing you and would just learn the micro of that. So it, Koreans and other people who've been able to get the tech have been able to do this. Obviously, the issue here is we always have to ask Riot. Riot's the one ultimately that has the control. And if they choose to do it, they do it. If they don't, then it doesn't happen. So the funny thing about what you're saying is something that just kind of came together in my brain as you were talking is that, you know, when it comes to like warming up skill shots and things, sandbox mode does that. Like that's what the players are doing on stage before they play. But the biggest thing that's lost is like barren setups or barren turns and yep. things like that, right? Like they're impossible. So like I was or trying base to think, races, you know, there's a bunch of things sure, you could do. Sure, right? Exactly. Like that. those things like so, so hard to simulate. Like you'd yes. have to do like crazy things where you had like 40 PCs more, I guess, 80 PCs in a room and then, like, got them all to that point and then, like, got past Leverbuster. Pause the game or got past Leverbuster somehow and then, like, yes. you know, swap seats. Like, yes, that's a thing that could happen. We said it out loud, but, like, it's a comical to, like, make it happen. The funny thing is, is that I guess what Riot could do that would instantly level up scrim practice for everybody, so, you know, it's not going to be, like, a North American exclusive advantage is what if you could chrono break scrims? You yeah, know, like, like you could also great. do from StarCraft VODs back in the day. Yes. You could go from that point and play it out again. Yes. Yes. And I and I know this is gonna derail into the baggage of Riot like announcing Quantum Break like it was something amazing, even though StarCraft had forever. Um I'm just incepting that, but to the point. The <laughs> We're not gonna I get guess, chrono triggered, don't worry. No. <laughs> good good game, good game, good game. Um But the reason why I bring it up now is the, the downside to chrono breaking, and I guess fans might not fully have inside this, but it takes a long time, right? It takes like I think it takes 15 minutes to chrono break or something like that. It's at least eight, I think it's eight to 15 minutes or something like that is like, that would still like, ideally it was zero minutes, but okay, it's eight, let's say, or 15. That would still be better than, than what exists right now. And being able well, to chrono break scrims, you could still at least have like a VOD review in those eight minutes if it was predictable and come back and like, especially turns off barons like, that's a big one right yes. is like should yeah. we turn or burn but turn or burn turn or burn there's so many variables it's so hard to know you know i always say papa it. i always feel so sorry for coaches in league because there is no way to know exactly how to coach that scenario because you just have to hope before the game that you understood it and if they didn't you can never do like you all say like hey let's do that again but remember Flow this time changes every game it, exactly be perfect <laughs> well, wouldn't it? It's also like my question about the chrono break was that is it one time it takes eight minutes and then you can replay that game state? It takes eight minutes every single time. Like you can't yes. just once the game state is there, you can't just like save the file and then just restart it from that so, point so over and over and over again. I don't know, know that, but I do believe that. Yes, I do believe that it's every okay. time. Um, but in a world where you know, because like Riot's thing is always, okay, well, we could either be putting resources into something that's for all players or resources into only pro things, um, which is why Sandbox took so long, I guess, why Chrono Break wasn't there from the start. If they could only do one thing, finding a way to tighten Chrono Break or make it viable for scrims, like, again, the burn or turn thing, as Thorin is saying, is like, 
the variables are like how many dashes do they have, whose flashes are up, what skills do they have that can steal over the wall, like Syndra, e, a QE, um, a cooldown. There's so many variables that like some players juggle very well, or they already have an impression before they start hitting the Baron, thus like 10 seconds later when the contest comes, they can get there. But drilling it would just increase the overall proficiency. And I would love to see the overall proficiency on like uh, objective turns match the overall proficiency of, you know, Lee Sin insect plays or like where we are now with Chinese insects and things like that um, with Lee Sin plays. It's like that stuff is possible because one person can train infinite time, whereas yeah. teams cannot train viably infinite time on specifically objective turns so yeah if, if that we, was the one thing we could have right now that would make level up all regions like it wouldn't it make north america viable i mean it would make korean you know teams even better and us like maybe like better um that would be very helpful i mean if you go back in time and you watch the way that lee sin used to play there are very standard plays that were extremely impressive back in the day that would be considered really standard now but the reason was is first off the game was in its in infancy but also in order to practice a lot of these like flash plays you would have to wait five minutes yeah. for your flash to come back up in order to try the mechanic again so you just couldn't get the reps so practice tool has done insane well, shit for player what, mechanics i just love where we're at now I, I don't know if you guys this is a kind of like a niche thing but um the, there was a clip trending i know treats um had a reflection on it recently of the fact that elise q doesn't go on cooldown if the unit dies during the animation so you can queue a minion smite it and then you still have q so you can do like these crazy gap closes that like because everybody has seen Elise since 2011 or 12 whenever this champ came out you kind of know the engage range you're never like wow i can't believe she repelled on me like you know this range like it's an innate thing you know but you don't know this mechanic yet because it's new and it's like yep. reproducible straight away everybody understands how to use it everybody's like stress testing it actually is like it came out a couple of years ago for whatever reason nobody noticed and now like it's trending and everyone can see the clip everyone getting the practice tool and practice it like that wasn't the case when insect was debuting the insect kick you know, right 10 years ago yeah and there still is no globally available pool of replays for the teams right like you get replays from your region so there, there is you... there is it's, oh, it's improved okay. so the way right. it works now is is that you can get raffle which is the hilariously titled league of legends replay file um of, right, it's so cute aren't they yes that's so cute um <laughs> kawaii disne etc um it's uh you can get major regions um lpl i think still has like the weird tech debt um scenario but you can instantly get well instant five minutes after next explodes of a pro game you get korea korean challengers europe north america academy era new this year no, it was, uh, I don't know if it was partway through spring or start of summer. I want to say it was partway through spring last year. Um, and it was actually not talked about a lot because I think some teams used it a lot. Like we used it a lot at 100 Thieves. And I think some teams weren't really aware of it because it's still a little bit frustrating because basically you have to have a TR installed that's that version of League of Legends. So you have to have like five TRs installed right. to like actually have historical replays. But Getting in there and you're not getting POV. Like it's like 80% of what you want. Ideally, you're getting every player's POV, which I guess is impossible now that uh, ProView is gone. But you're still getting the access to the things that pro teams hate. And let me tell you, pro teams hate the broadcast to watch the games because the replays are way too frequent and they're always off backs and rotations, basically. So yeah. 
you can never like the, you'll get the replay and then like the support dies and you're like is that because they didn't recall after the play was over like, they decided they need to like greed and share a plate with the team for some reason and that uh, caused the ad carry to have to overstay to kill a minion wave like these are the things that you really do train on which is like base timings and yes. getting out on the map with resources and that is what the broadcast will always always it is full okay. screen replays when, over. When I, when, you know when i'm doing vod reviews and there's this replay on the screen i'm like no i need to know uh, oj simpson moment i'm like i, I think that what if this was the play <laughs> yeah, they exactly. were thinking here I'm like, whereas I'm with like the ruffle file like a, it's perfect I, i'm like a i'm like a forensic investigator yes, yes, like yes. i'm like okay i have this circumstantial evidence maybe like they they killed the minion wave in this way and that or like how did you know these mid laners did a trade like how did that happen in mid lane but i guess one of them has to go back now i guess we'll never know the reason why yeah i mean now you get the now you get the raffle files five minutes afterwards the new feature i think it was might be this year might have been end of summer is now you get your scrim raffle files five minutes after your scrims even it's not even just oh, stage great. games so not enemy scrims just to be clear the ones you played so um <laughs> There's no like no no weird stuff there, but we're we're getting there on things like that that should have been like 2013 things, then 2023 <laughs> things. So hooray. another one, Papa. Here's another 2013 thing. So in CS:GO, another development that happened it wasn't at the beginning; it was a couple of years in, and then it got more and more and more advanced. Is both programs which you could put demos, replays, if you're from League or other RTS games, you put the demos in, and it can do things like it can either like strip the data out and show you in a different program, just like an overview of like in Couch, like obviously you do the pissed around in a strat and setups and stuff. But you could do things like you could. See, in the league one obviously would you'd want to know like jungler's pathing what routes does he take if you put in a the idea is with this with these apps you can put in 100 demos and just find out right 99% of the time here's the type of pistols they want to do yep. you can look on you can put in stats and find heat map data for mm. every possible situation look, you can you're ask making, me, you're making here, me jealous now yeah and this guy's here and this guy's here and the other one has twice as much health but he's elevated it was, oh, he gets 47% of the time he gets the kill yeah all yeah, that it, stuff it was uh, it was the same in Overwatch League actually because Blizzard uh, made their own engine for the game and so e even in season one of overwatch league they would give replays to the team and they would and p teams would just data mine the replay files uh and pull out all this information i mean you're tilting me thorn because my dream because i you know obviously i've always been trying to push for amateur teams and identifying talents from solo queue very young and things like that is if you could if i could like you can get replay files of basically every solo queue game being played like above diamond one or something that's this thing you could actually pull if you would but there's no ability to do what you would want like for example i'm like all right need the next stud 80 carry i want the best young 80 carry on the ladder you would want to have the ability for to put it into a program that could model like the auto attack range of the 80 carry yes. and then make sure that they're like attack moving perfectly and like they're always at maximum auto attack range and respecting the enemy's auto attack range yep. and things like that like they'll always be kiting and auto attacking perfectly you just crap in like you know thousands of replays and it comes back yep. and it's like this guy's spacing is the best because spacing i believe is the most important strength of an ad carry is to always be auto attacking and denying the enemy's auto attack is like a very very simple way of explaining it but that doesn't exist, and it's like I investigated like how many programmers to reckless. How many, pro <laughs> how many programmers would I have to pay how much to like, create this sort of model? But, but, and it was like four or five full stack developers for a year to even consider how you would do it. And I'm just well, like, I okay, mean, well, never mind. 
What's so crazy is like, obviously, you know, the whole MOBA genre came out of my first game that I was in esports, which is Warcraft 3, right? And the, at the fundamental level, Warcraft 3 and RTS replays and even MOBA replays, because it was played on an RTS engine, are not actually that difficult to create or to part. They were tiny back in the day. Because, yeah, because here's, here's what an RTS uh, replay is, guys. It is a timeline. And in that timeline, there are XY coordinates on the screen for where your mouse is. And then on that timeline, it records every XY coordinate of a mouse click and then a button press, right? So you can actually recreate the entire perspective of a player within Warcraft 3 or StarCraft or an RTS, which should be very easily possible within League of Legends as well. There are more players, but at the end of the day, it is it, when you look at a replay, it is basically the game replaying the actions of the player in, on a timeline is what the obvious is. joke here is but just like in warcraft 3 if you want to unlock the best tech you have to macro up and pick the right tech tree and obviously riot just has a bunch of grunts still in just the village in it monty i'm leveled up haven't they? So, uh, how do you come up with this crap right, it took 10 years i had 10 years to get ready stop talking in 10 years something 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 pee on something something i got it great um, hey, well, exactly but, but it, it is it is wild because like coming from this game where in 2002 we had perfectly functional replays and then i'm here 20 years later in a game that is the same basically and we can't even have these replays available publicly is crazy i'm sad that you guys are not molding about the quality of like tower defense games in 2023 <laughs> as compared to like burbanog tower defense and as a warcraft 3 mod because like all the best mods <laughs> all the best were tower rad. defense were paid. exactly right. they were awesome oh, back then so, so why, why are we not yeah. talking about that but where's your Footman Frenzy. Footman Frenzy, sure. Okay, Urbanog was better, uh, but sure. <laughs> oh, someone mentioned Wintermall in, in uh, chat. That, that was, was a good a, one, That was too. a great one. Um, but I mean, like, these games were amazing. And this this actually goes to a different point. So I'm, I'm going to go super boomer here and yellow uh -huh. clouds. You ready? Suits you. Continue. <laughs> I am going to say this, which is that all of the current, like, esports and popular game genres were developed as mods of other games. And it fucking blows that we don't have sandbox modes of current popular games for the most part because that is where the genesis the genesis of great esports have come from the community and grassroots development if you think about it right you know we saw on this topic MOBAs, oh yeah you did this I mean, for example, Overwatch comes out of TF2, which was a Valve yep. game. Then you yep. have, like, obviously League of Legends came out of Dota All-Stars, which was Blizzard. And then the joke is, this is the joke, and this is the reason that I can't conclusion I came to at the end. This is why they all locked the games. Because the joke is they naively thought, but my rival took what could have been my property, but they didn't realize collectively all of them, Valve, Riot, and Blizzard, all did get a big game at least out of it. So they actually, it's short-term thinking, by the way classic LCS problem. Short-term thinking of like, but if I gave it a winner, but actually if you share, I don't want to sound like Jesus here or something, you can receive back more later that you can't possibly, so the point is if you open it up, yeah, you don't know what someone will do with it, but you oh, might yeah. also benefit, maybe you come and take a Valve thing later on, so that's why I think in the modern day they well, don't open the SDKs and let people mod. even that the genre, the, the latest big gaming genre is Battle Royale. That also came out of um, the, the founder it's of one Z1 or whatever, doing right? an Somewhere. Arma 3 mod. Right. So okay. like basically I'm a every... two, I think. Well, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> oh, but it's like... came out of Quake. If people don't know it, every yep. single one came from a different company, yes. 
So, I mean, all of these, all of the current popular, even, you know, fuck the games, the genres, the tactical shooter genre, the MOBA genre, the battle royale genre, all of these came out of mods. All of them. I don't know if you guys were around for, were either of you playing Dota when it was like new? Um, yes, but yeah. the thing is, the joke is, Papa, I actually was one of the people. It's like what Richard said about League. I did just tell people, this, this is never going to be big. Because the reason why, if you remember, is because it was just a fun mod that was way easier to play than Warcraft 3. This is how everyone used to play Dota and find out about it in like 2005 or whatever. Yeah. You would you would finish playing the game you actually are a nerd in, Counter-Strike, League of Legends. Well, it wasn't League. That's why I said League of Legends. StarCraft, <laughs> I mean, or Warcraft back then, you know. Right. You'd play the hard game that you were a pro, and Dota was the chill friends game because you yes. had to make a custom thing. That, so what happened is a friend would just drag you in and you'd play it. And people like me yeah. from games like TAC FPS would be like, this is crap. I'm a control this one guy. Like, why is he AFK? And yeah, but yeah, I played it back in the day, but I thought it was shit at the time. Actually, yeah. not. So it was actually my <laughs> college game. So 2005 right. is when I um, started university. So I was 18 at the time. And we had a good land set up, but you know, the internet setup wasn't great at that time. I was ISDN or something like that. Just when you were um, in Australia. I was in Australia, correct, and so our I was at a residential college, and our residential college game was Dota One. And right. So what I can tell you from that time, because I played Dota One for like 2005, probably through 2006, I, I played it for like a year and a half or two years maybe, um, is that and I was pretty yeah I was what reading forums and kind of keeping up as much as I could. Um, is that Blizzard had a really hard time working out what to do with Dota's success because it quickly became like the like supreme mod like people were playing yep. it yep. and playing it and it seemed to be trending more than warcraft 3 ladder at the time that was just my perspective I can't it was even a famous it. stat i think behind the scenes papa that at one point in time the stats said wow warcraft 3 so alive and the yes, joke was, was like Dota. Hey, the games were people Dota. Yeah. yeah and so <laughs> that was the if joke so if you guys you guys <laughs> the easiest thing to like pull back on now i guess to tell is like eventually they did a like hall of fame for mods and dota was the first one that they celebrated but before that, you know, it was already trending really hard at the time because it was having this really hard, like, this is so big. And like you say, it's like kind of like gussing up our numbers or cannibalizing our numbers, depending on what they want to portray. And we don't own it. Like, what can we do about it? Like, it was kind of a begrudging recognition of it when they got to it. And then obviously Valve and, and Riot have had billions of dollars of success from this thing that blizzard could have found a way to have like blizzard could have controlled the market on it somehow and bungled it to the point where you know it ended up being an offshoot and then we can get into like you know pendragon and yeah yeah and server and farms being closed and things that's way too grimmer for everybody here but all i mean is is like i I remember going through that and seeing kind of like the the schadenfreude that blizzard was going through trying to work out how to like incorporate it and here we are now but to your point you're right everything is an evolution like counter-strike was um obviously a thing but my game was like action quake 2 and things like that yeah yeah so i I remember playing those games and like bandaging myself and thinking of how how realistic and cool it was and here we are with like the forerunners of those games we played I don't know, better part of 20 years ago, now being the preeminent titles. Yes. I'm I'm just sad that we don't have, you know, tools and sandboxes to create the next, you know, kind of generation of of games, at least in, you know, now it's kind of the the domain of B tier titles where you can actually do these mods. Oh. It's not the AAA mm. games like it used By to the be way, that allow you to this have is why, Monty, tool. if you go back in time, the most infamous one I'll do for Papa's sake for the old law is that one time when Froggen, like did that comment on Reddit, like sort of like he was he was toxic in solo queue. And then when people called him out on Reddit, he just sort of basically said, 
in so many words, sort of like, fuck you, I was busy practicing. And he had the most downvoted comment ever in the history of Reddit at the time, like minus 2,000 or something. Because back then, of the fans, like now, they would all be like, well, he's toxic, this pro. And the joke is, Froggen was right, maybe expressed it wrong. I used to say when I would come from the other game, like, this... To practice, you have to just load up a game, play a game with nine randoms, and just hope you get like valuable like moments. And if someone does troll you, an actual pro, that's it. And even worse in your game, when they told me this, mate, my, my brain almost exploded. They actually consider it like Riot is potentially thinking about doing something if you smurf too much. Like you can't even go into the bad games. You have to play at the top level. I, I couldn't believe how limited the practice concept was. And I always used to say as a pro, that must suck so much. Like, as we're saying, imagine you are the jungler, you're trying to practice smites. How many cracks you get at that in a game? You know what I mean? Like, it, it was just so inefficient back then. I mean, it's gotten slightly better, but even so, it, as we're talking about, it's never really been able to break out with some of these aspects and partly because of the tech. Yeah, and I think scouting is really hard too. Uh, Ruffles yeah. makes it better. So I think that... Now we're seeing some accurate imports, like you know, so a photon or someone coming in, like that the group think in Korean or English on Challengers Korea players, especially before there was even an English broadcast. It doesn't get huge viewership in Korea either, right? Like the group think is gonna be limited on how good these players actually are, but a ruffle will give you a little bit more insight on that and what the baselines are. But the gold standard is always POVs and they're the hardest thing to get. You have to go through and hope that players are recording their point of view, you know, where their mouse clicks similar to if they stream on Twitch. Um, Korea doesn't even allow VODs of streams anymore on Twitch TV because of, I don't know. Um, so getting POVs. And the POVs you really want are the POVs of them under competitive stress, i.e. stage matches or scrims against really good teams. And like you need like multiple people's permission to get those. But when you get those, you see things like how crisp are their, their mouse clicks, how, how far away from their character is the mouse usually. And the closer they are to the character, the more tight their movement is. Whereas if usually if you see like a boomer POV, like they're like clicking to like the corner of their screen or whatever, but the tighter clicks are always better. Um, uh, these are sort of things we were using at 100 Thieves to scout for our you know, academy and amateur players. Um, but they sometimes don't exist. Sometimes you're just like, please tell me you didn't delete your, you know, it's off season, you didn't delete all the VODs. Like, please, like, these are still things that because we're in this state of uh, incomplete information and you need to have like gigs of storage because we don't have correct tools from Riot, you're still playing a game of telephone to get the things you want. And then League of Legends is a complex enough game that. Even if you had all of that, there's so much work that needs to be done to make out who is looking at this footage, who has an accurate opinion of them, what are the variables that are predictive of success. So every time we get something, which in this case is like raffle files actually being available for more players to more teams, the floor goes up. It's never as much as it should or needs to, but it goes up. So. Uh, that's you, you take the mere morsels when you're starving, man, I guess is how it goes. Here's the shit joke for you. They should have named the file name extension based on the region that it's played in. So maybe in other, maybe Europe's the funny region with banners. That could be the raffle one. You could mm -hmm. have like Giga Chad for China or something. You could do all these. And then the joke is, obviously, LMFAO would be the LCS one. Because when I think of the LCS, I think of party rockers in the house tonight. Everybody just have a good time. Oh, I'm ha I knew you would hit the reference there, correct? The one thing I never do get credit for is I don't bloody trip over the joke. You have to, you have to actually land all the words, mate. You've got to get it in the right order. That's, it's, I mean, it's, why, it's why you're a good caster and broadcaster is as you're talking and like firming towards the end of a sentence, you're already working out like the second order definition and things to extend it. Like it's, That's a hard yes. thing to do. 
as someone but who the thing is, though, I do a really good act of acting like I'm just an idiot who just accidentally tripped over and did it. So, idiot savant, <laughs> though, idiot savant. Yeah, exactly. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> Uh, I want to get your take on the the LCS broadcast this year, Papa, uh, mm-hmm. and because you've been uh, a part of OGN, LCK, mm-hmm. moving into uh, now working with Riot directly on the LCS and seeing many years of, of LCS broadcast. You've watched 10 years of broadcasts around the world. So what do you think about the changes that LCS has implemented this year? Are these things that you have liked to see were you worried about the start times moving because the viewership i think has exceeded most people's expectations for the movement i wear a lot of hats that's why it's a hard conversation it's better if you like specify what you're talking about because i watch as a fan i watch as a previous broadcaster who has opinions on what should be in broadcast i watch yeah, that's as why a, your opinions as are a, interesting or, as an orgona <laughs> now you know right like i have to i have to like think about this so you can't you can't solve for everything so I have a lot of thoughts. Is there any any particular strains you want me to zoom in on? All right, well, let, let's start with let's start with the broadcast times because that was a concern, but it seems to be doing relatively well. What were your thoughts about moving the day, dates and the times, and how have you evaluated it so far? Oh, I think I was very very skeptical originally when the idea of moving the days came up. Um, when the days the moving the days came up, kind of like end of spring. I already knew that we were going to be talking about, you know, 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. kind of time. So I knew it was not going to be evening because EST in Europe not being available, it's just not a decision you would ever make. Um, so I was already thinking about how you're going to get people in the in the audience, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I will say the most refreshing thing I found with the change is I, f- I love playing on Friday, getting that done, and then being like, oh, there's three days of LEC that I can watch at my leisure at a comfortable time. I don't wake up and find out I'm behind. It's not a like match day and we're like scrambling to work out why someone drafted the way they did in the, the patch earlier that day. I do like the fact that it feels more spaced out. Obviously, LCS takes a bit of an L moving to weekdays compared to weekends, at least in terms of theory. You're like, okay, well, theoretically, we'll have access to less people, et cetera, et cetera. But the old model of the viewer watches all of Europe and then all of North America or like watches three games, you know, like in a sitting, it's not realistic. I don't think that's how it goes anymore. I don't have the exact data to like prove this. I've never been like specifically presented that. People to watch 10 straight hours of League of Legends on weekends was a little ridiculous. There's a reason that Raya has like ummed and odd about how they present data. I mean, part of it's just sometimes the data is not going up. So obviously you get creative around that. But the other part is like, I'm pretty sure average viewing time has gone down over time, which makes perfect sense. Um, The viewership is aged. That part is kind of like common knowledge. And so people have less time. And connected to that, I think it's more common to be like sports where you watch your team play. And that's that's like the sum of what you do. You don't actually, maybe you watch two teams, like the top teams and your team, but you don't watch all five games, which obviously, as we all on this call know, was what Riot wanted, was that you watched, I'm an LCS fan, I watched the whole LCS broadcast, which I don't think that that like five plus hour chunk is what anybody does anymore. And then this idea of I watch LEC and LCS is like comically, like no one is watching 10 hours in a row. I say no one, obviously, yeah, someone in the did. comments will get in there and be like, fuck you, I watched 10 hours, and it's like, great. Your kind is, is dying. 
It's I like, even think there's a reason people. that people don't bother to put in the background because I always look for like second and third factors in the analysis. One of the reasons I think naively they might have thought that would work at the beginning, Papa, is because LCS was LCS was the way bigger region and partly because it had all the streamers. They used to get 20k live viewers. That means some of those are European fans. That means they also want to watch the late. That doesn't exist anymore in the same way. Like those two things are separated. The things are smaller. Like there's, it, we're just not in the old days, are we? We're not, and and it was novel at the time, and you wanted to watch it all because you never knew if it was going to disappear. Was the LCS a 2013-only product? Like, no one could have the insight of where things would go. Now we're at the point where the fucking Challengers career broadcast has English. We didn't have anything at that time for LPL. Like, it was us doing guerrilla stuff at the time uh, before LPL, and even the first years of LPL weren't covered in English. Obviously, Korea always had an English broadcast, but now there's so much broadcast League of Legends. Now the quality... If you want to be a purist, you know which regions to watch, obviously Korea and China. Um, so like the competition for time and the fact that if the average age of the viewer was, let's say, 13, 14, 15 at that time, it's probably 21, 22, 23 now. Um, just kind of coming up with that number. And there's just much more competition for time. Just like we talked about spring being the better viewership time because there's less competition for your attention. As you get older, you have more things on your plate to be able to carve out time to watch a block of League of Legends. And a block goes from being 10 hours to one hour. And that's just the reality of where things are at. So I do like that the broadcast has times to breathe. I think the start time being pitched on 12 o'clock is like the maximum viewership time. And then it being pivoted to two. That's the part where I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what the data is that supports that change. But it's a crowd pleaser. There's obviously, there was a lot of bad PR at the time. So a crowd pleaser still has its validity. Um, and to your question about viewership, I think the viewership with no host has been very, very good because I think that Riot did an extremely poor job of advertising the, the days changing, the time, yeah. all of these things. It was just very, very disappointing, and it's something that obviously have given feedback on before, during, and after. But given all of those, the viewership is healthy. Like People will say it's down, and it's like if you move any product yeah, it's a couple actually amazing. of days, it's not down it more. goes down. Like, I'm someone who's, like, followed professional wrestling a lot of my life um, for different differing levels of severity in terms of following it. But I'm, uh, I'm interested in the business, and there's a lot about TV ratings and um, stuff like that. That's always big discussion point there, which is very similar to Twitch viewership. And whenever it's like, oh, Raw is being delayed to Tuesday because there's a big football game on a Monday night, so they're going to move it then that creates scenarios where the viewership goes extremely far down because people showed up on Monday to watch it and it's not there. So the fact that they kind of, not secretly, but you know, covertly moved it to Thursday, Friday, and the viewership was like most of the way good, feels great. Now, in six weeks' time, we'll have more of a picture to how much of that was you know, early season push and new rosters and shine, et cetera, et cetera. But the way it's opened up is far exceeding my expectations. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I also I also think that the because they did such a bad job advertising it, there's always like a boost at the start of the season when people are hyped about the teams. But I think it's probably going to balance out because as more people get accustomed to this schedule, I think it'll probably stay about the same uh, even with the the early season boost. Right. Because you'll get the stragglers trickling in as they as they understand the timing and everything better. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's actually a very positive change at least at first and riot's theory at least right now looks like it was pretty solid 
just like we're like bigging up FlyQuest and uh, things like that, we are kind of like giving the roses to LCS in week two, like in week six, seven, yeah. eight. I mean, when it's, when it's week the three. summer season, that's where it's going to be. That's like the doldrums where it becomes really hard so to maintain the viewership. I will just say subjectively, winning the first game of the day on Friday, getting to watch the rest of the LCS at low stakes and be like, okay, Saturday is my off day. I can watch some LEC if I want or not. Like that feels subjectively very good. Now, yeah. is that actually going to be like affirmed by viewership, which is something that's one of our big mandates and drivers? I need more time to understand, but it feels good so far. And then you want to talk the, about something in LCK? Oh, hold up. Yes, in just a second. I went, and now I want his take on the like the differences in the production quality and what you've seen, because that has also been the other push. And are you happy with that in terms of the way they're presenting your team? Because I think famously, one thing that I repeatedly railed on when you were with 100 Thieves is that they weren't doing a very good job of like representing someday's story, for example. And it's going to be highly political now, but go for it. <laughs> of course. Well, I, 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 feel like I'm, I feel like I'm less political as I get I older. think on this topic, well, you will be quite though. political. I don't think you'll say the broadcast was shit. They never showed us. They cared more about like TSM and Cloud9. Even, you know, I don't think you'll do any of that. So we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, that was one of my biggest internal pushbacks that I would talk about is that the LCS broadcast for so many years was the story of Bjergsen and Doublelift told again and again and again so that you could um, just kind of like chase the the most engaged players and like coast off their viewership like cut yep. off cut off the top which is boring like my favorite ever worlds intro um to a group stage was 2016 worlds where um my first worlds i worked so obviously some nostalgia there where they positioned faker as the kind of like um as the not the enemy per se, but as like the the foil to all the new people coming in of like this guy's already won final multiple boss times. The final boss type, and and I feel like you should always use your established stars that you sure. built up to a crazy degree to build up your new stars. Then you just have more stars yes. rather than just like remember the UFC the does it. I love them. I love them. Yes. I love them. It's like okay, well at some exactly. point that's going to get old, and people want new names. And I think that right, yes. the LCS broadcast has done a terrible job of that. I would say recently they've done better. I think that ever since about summer last year, they've gotten better around trying to push new concepts. Maybe it was EG winning with Danny and, and JoJo that pushed it, but I think that overall it's been trending up. In terms of how they're featuring FlyQuest, I think they've done fine. I, I watch a lot less of the broadcast now than before, um, so I don't have the most nuanced take on it. I will say that the changes they've made to broadcast style, making it less ESPN, doing more skits, I get many more casters in my DMs saying like, hey, can we get a player for this? Or like, I had this idea, would this player be up for it based on the personality, you know? Like, you know, people like Emily and Raz and these guys are trying to do creative things. They're making some flops along the way, but they're nailing in other ways. I feel like the talent team and producers they have working the show right now are the most receptive and the most creative they've ever had. And so let's let them get through some good and bad decisions and kind of see how it fleshes out because I have a very different answer right now than I would have a year and a half ago when I'm like, this broadcast just sucks. I think it's a lot, lot better than it used to be. Agreed. What we got? We got more topics. I'm, I'm here. I'm waiting for I mean, Monty to finish I all these important that's topics about the broadcast, it. right? <laughs> Should we actually talk about people who are good at League of Legends now?
Yes. You know, half, half an hour, maybe at the end, squeezing in. <laughs> Fucking hell. So, okay, one thing I would like to talk about, and the reason I want to talk about it with you, actually, Papa, is because you are actually someone who is known to not be someone who has, like, you, you can have, like, uh, a strong take, but I, I don't think you've ever read, I think you quite very, intentionally, you very rarely have a hot take. Like, you actually do seem like you want to think about it more. You, you Even I notice when you're forming your take, you will almost try to, like, intentionally see all other sides of it. And so, like, a bit like when the I was talking about the riot. I was at that as on. a caster too, right? Yeah. Oh, you were, absolutely. And so what I would ask you is this. At the moment, a massive topic of contention with LS's crowd particularly, but also the pro players, he has a lot of those LEC players who come in, is believe it or not, right now, I'm not exaggerating, there is a problem in League of Legends I have never seen ever in the history of the game, and I've watched Korea the whole time, which is genuinely Korean support players. By the way, the position I think they have been the best at forever in League of Legends, even better than LPL when LPL was winning. That's the one position I think they have always dominated because of the vision control, because of the way you like control the lane, you control the fights, the team fights, the skirmishes. That's the one position I've always thought was the ultimate brain Korean position. And they are actually unironically being so inefficient right now with all these million pink ward buys and refusing, and even like two, three pink ward, two, two rather, and refusing to complete items that the joke is, I actually think if you look at it, as much as people meme on the LEC, LEC supports are like actually like meta-wise ahead at the moment. They're not doing these things. So the crazy angle, if people don't know, is in Korea, essentially, it's some of them, it's really insane. Every time they back, it's they just buy the wards. I've even seen them do it by the wards when they're like defending the base and they're going to lose the game. It's like, look, I get the premise again. You know, if, the, if we hold off the fight, then we make a video. But it's like, whatever they've done, they've gone way too far with it. And the reason why I feel like it's so crazy is because there was a period in time back in the day in League of Legends where the joke was that is what made Koreans gods is that the, even like the joke was a Korean mid laner would buy some wards when, you know, the Western player would get the damage. Like that used to be what made them more people. At the moment, it does seem, and I'm a layman here, so I wouldn't get the people who are the experts. It seems to me like a crazy angle where they're just bizarrely on a totally different direction of what they think League is. And and everyone else is going the other direction, it seems. Yeah, I, I don't want to overrepresent my game knowledge at this point, right? Because I'm now like one further order removed. Quick start, from okay. There's the games game. where people buy 20 pink wards back. No, no, no. And I know the argument. Like, I still follow League. I'm not saying I'm okay. like, you know, a, a peasant now, but I, I'm not going to say that I'm an expert. What I will say is, if you remember, who he was getting a lot of criticism for this um, on Soraka, okay. super delaying his um, Moonstone during summer finals buying control wards so i definitely understand that was a topic then it's a topic now it feels like the latest kind of like crusade that ls is on you know leandry's obviously being the most famous one um i think that it's a super interesting argument because i i agree with the premise of if you're playing an enchanter and like you know a healing support especially with the power level moonstone was at previously maybe it's different now but getting a mythic as a support is really really impactful in the game like all fight situations play out differently there's no split pushing everything turns into fights so having your fight situation starter begun will meaningfully impact team fights and and whether you win and delaying that for mindless control wards is objectively bad like i didn't agree with with jay doing it but it wasn't my position to come in as like the, like third order person to be like what's going on i just talked to my coaches about this is weird um we had Busio in our academy at the time, and he was a lot more on the LS school of thought of like, okay. you want to get your team five power ready to go and things like that. So we had natural disagreements, even among the two supports, we had 100 Thieves. 
And when I look at the cases, like the comical cases you're talking about, the one that LS molded about recently, where like Beryl is like buying two control wards when everybody is going to just be in his face, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's like, what are these going to do? So like, I'm with you guys on that. And then probably like the league analysis that I took the most away from in the last year um, from watching clips and, and coaching and things was uh, Dom actually talking about how Lucian Nami was used in um, LPL and how vision denial in LPL is used. It might have been in a show with you, Thorin, so if I say anything off, feel free to correct me. But it was along the lines of, like, in the LPL, if you get first set up on an objective and put down control wards, that's seen to, like, overcome um, item disadvantages or anything because yes, positioning be is so yes. important, right? But then the yes. Lucian Nami point was, like, Yes, obviously this combo is strong at you know level three and level five and mandate and all these power spikes, but the use case of it is is if you control ward both sides of the river, no one can ever walk up like zero point one centimeters um outside of their turret on the enemy side if they can't see you because with mandate and Lucian's full combo, you're just like dead from anywhere, basically. You can't even flash away because you just get cold. Um, and so the map control Lucian Nami brings in addition to control wards is very powerful. And so I hadn't, you know, we hadn't discussed Lucian Nami being used that way, or we hadn't discussed like what is the break even between like an item or XP advantage and control wards. Like, it's not a topic that naturally gets kicked off, but I thought it was a very interesting summation of it. And you can understand then the like, well, then you need the control wards to get a setup because we're behind and like, if that's the only way we can get ahead, then let's, you know, I yeah. need the wards. And I, you get, like, the thought, but it's, like, it's being over-applied, just like Ludens and other items are being over-applied compared to Leandri's in the past. Right. So it just, to me, it's the truth of the matter when LS was on his crusade was is that he was overstating the point, and some people were right in their item builds when he was calling them out on it for going Leandri's instead, but people were not being critical thinkers about their items yes. enough. And the flaw of critical thinking around items meaningfully was changed by LS blanket flaming. So like the oh, end yeah. result was a positive one. I think the same is true of buying control wards. Very often people will buy two because they had the gold when they should buy one. Very often supports will have 300 gold and then be like, well, I'll buy two control wards and still have 150 because I'm a support. I don't have a lot of items. I don't want to float gold because I have low base stats and low items. But it's also like, well, what if you only win when you get the item and now you're delaying that time by buying this control ward that you didn't really think about? You just kind of bought it because you like, you have a small wallet and you finally got some money and you're like buying too much. Like, there's critical thinking required there that very often isn't happening. And I think it's starting to happen more. And it's a shame that it takes a tastemaker shouting it, you know, indiscriminately to oh, make it happen. But it, at least it's happening. Like it's better that oh. it's happening than not. It's also just very entertaining. I mean, his reaction to Barrel yeah, buying those boards he's, was he's very compelling hilarious. character for sure. <laughs> you know, I I thought it was really funny. Um, but it, it also I think misrepresents. I mean, this was my problem when LS was doing this with itemization. Is like the blanket flaming, as you're saying, was effective and and did cause critical thinking. But you guys have to understand it's performative. And at the end of the day, the other thing that LS really uh, attaches himself to is things that individual players can change because the nuances of the professional game are beyond the understanding of most of his audience. And so if when I've been doing VOD reviews on, on my streams recently of LCK teams, it really it depends team to team. So 
it really is about war, like efficiency with those pink wards. And so sometimes as, as you guys, if you've been watching bangers only, like I thought KT was buying a lot of pink wards. And when I went back and actually looked at the control ward stats that pink, that KT was buying, it turns out they were not buying that many, but they were using them. The efficiency was insane. Um, you know, they, they are very good about recalling to control ward around a dragon. And there will often be five control wards on the map and they'll be sweeping out. So, but they weren't in total, the total number of control wards they were buying was not very high. They would, they just have very good timings on their control wards. Right. And you also have to consider what kind of composition are you playing? If you're playing a pick comp control ward value is enormous because it is more important that you kill someone before a fight starts with the pick comp rather than having an item in a losing 5v5 anyway, right? If you're Outrage. if you're playing a front-to-back 5v5 huh? teamfight composition, item itemization may be more important than control wards. But if you're trying to play into that comp with a pick comp, you need to stop them from getting to the objective before you get there, and pink wards are very good at that. Another example, right now, statistically, Here's something fun for you. Gen G, arguably the finest macro team in the LCK, buys the fewest number of controlled wards per minute, but has the highest wards cleared per minute of any team. That is crazy good efficiency. Are we going to complain that Gen G is buying too many control wards? No, we're not. The problem is, though, like, I'll tell you one obvious reason why this has blown up as well, which is it's not a joke. The worst defender is Beryl. He is not only an active, he is a two-time world champion. Uh. Like, this guy, look, he's obviously, as an actual player, not, like, the greatest support ever, but the resume is incredible. So if you are that player, and then you're, you are the guy for real where you're just, like, buying them constantly. And by the way, Monty, you can go watch some of these VODs. Dude, He, he the joke is it looks like he just gets his bonus based on his vision score at the end of the the game because he will just put pinks that don't even make sense mate he will put like one in like a and like like this is not a joke he even has put them into brushes that he saw enemies walking into that they just kill it instantly like this isn't you're also, not even thinking when you do that you know? and, and, I, and i know where you're going which is like it creates appeals to authority when world champions or if you don't i don't know if you it. know this i have heard that if you have a korean player on a western team watch out for this homie i've heard the reason why it's so hard to convince them to do something different is they will go and this is all they say to you and they think this is checkmate they will go carrier does it in korea you know fucking oh. back in the day it would have been smear but you know whoever the perfect player is if he does it there's a lot that's why the leandries thing essentially came down to that if you have asked the players it was like well that's what trophy buys you know so that that was really like that's not uh, to me and you that's a fallacy to, to young people who don't know how to critically think they might think that's an argument i think i was just about to bring up the same point because oh, barrow right, does so, it yeah. because carrier does it is you you say it's like a korean thing it's just a thing like this is how young players oh, come is. up yes. in the in the information age with all these regions covered and like a much more global read than just like well i kind of watch the lcs and play solo queue like no one really does that they watch a little bit of all regions and highlights and bangers and play solo queue and so the appeal to authority is what you hear from players who don't have a, a true opinion on things is i did it because barrel did it or i did it because carrier did it and i think the moment that you detect that that's a reason that someone is like, that's not a that's not a justification like oh. those people doing things is not and it's on the coaching staff and the culture yes. to instantly instantly push back on that because it's not informational you know like here's what i'll tell you because carrier did it as a support 
and I'm doing it myself applies to like 0.001% of the players out there. He's incredibly mechanically blessed for a support player. He so outclasses other support players in terms of mechanics that he breaks the game the and breaks scenarios. He's the Uzi of his day, where Uzi, if you remember in season two, the argument was, wow, what an amazing outplay. How did he do that? And everybody, the other side was, why the hell was he there? No one should yes. ever be there to make that outplay. And I feel the same way with Carrier. It's like, because Carrier does it, literally, I, you just have to look at the person and be like, okay, then, are you Carrier? Because I don't think you are. And I think that's something that needs to humble people. The barrel one is a very interesting one, because I think mechanically he's obviously not Carrier by any means, but his shot calling is something that I can't quantify because I'm not listening to the comms, and his impact in terms of leaving the team is such that I don't think he's smartly buying two control wars at all moments, but I'd love to get a beer with him and work out why he's doing it. Of course, it. yeah. I just don't know. You know, that's the one thing I do actually find is, is kind of a bit sad about League, is that like in CSGO, I'm sure you know this, Everyone doesn't just flame me if they disagree with me. Probably 95% of the time, they hop in your DM and they just say, mm -hmm. like, look, in that scenario, you're right. Like, I can see how it looks stupid, but, you know, what I was trying to do was this or the other team normally does something else. In that and that information is obviously mega useful, but the downside is we just can't, we don't have the access to get that information from the LCK and LPL players. So we're always wondering. Aren't whenever we? I get little morsels, whenever I grab song during a break and ask him questions, it's always, it's always great. Uh, I've got a couple of sources now, so trying to find out the most I can about some of these things you just can't know so yeah i mean i i think the the ward question is interesting and there are like really egregious examples and all of this started with malrong last year yep. as well when when yep. malrong was you know sacrificing random sampler items as well he like, was spending two thousand gold as well on, love on malrong, so <laughs> Mal malrong just like plays the game his own way and i love watching him play um and that's part of his strength and you just have to take it but um, I love people. I, it was fun watching people copy his item builds and not his style. And it's yes. like, okay, well, he's building those items so he can dive better. So if you're yep. full clearing with those items, we are we got a problem here, guys. <laughs> That's why the point you made earlier is the key. And I actually think there's a very logical reason as to why the players have an issue. This reminds me, dude, of when they first brought in the Dragon meta in League of Legends, so I think it was Season 9. And when they first brought that in, a lot of teams still didn't sort like it. People didn't overnight just figure out how you play the meta. It took people ages to figure out, are you supposed to focus on all the dragons? Do you let some of them go? Can you side lane? We thought not at the time, but you sort of could and it's like people the problem is you'd spent the last seven eight years playing a different game and all your sense of what was right and your incentive structure in the game was different so the problem here is this i actually think back in the day there were genius players who didn't complete items because that part of the item was a waste of money or you don't need it for you're not going to use like this particular part of the damage maybe you're using it for like movement or health or something you just do the ruby crystal the problem is this this is all combined within the modern day the mythic was almost like they because they wanted everyone to buy them, it just became the slam dunk. Like the first one to get it was always the one pretty much you were, had the advantage. Like it was a very rare example of something intentionally being OP in the game. And by the way, you could even make an argument. I probably would. I think that's actually sometimes a negative. Like I rem remember the classic example in StarCraft 2 was not only was the Infestor OP, there was never an incorrect amount you could build. And that is a nightmare scenario in a strategical thinking game. You want it to be where there's a balance. So the contrast in StarCraft, if you don't know, was like the... Uh, uh, obviously whatever the archons or what no not the archons the fucking storm 
What's the one that does the storms Templar. on Proto Templar? They go. The Templars, you can definitely have too many. If you have too many, you supply that. You don't want too few. Like that's how you want these things to do. So the problem I think in the modern days, remember, we didn't have mythics until a couple of years ago. Like people again have played their whole life in this game. And if you're Korean, by the way, you might have put like 50,000 hours in the game. So your brain thinks the game's like this. And it's, yeah, it's still pretty similar, but actually certain aspects in this case, the tech tree is totally different. Well, it's also the mythic snowball, so they become more gold efficient as time goes on because they have passives that stack with the more items you have. It's it's interesting. I mean, the game does have these kind of things that are just done because they're done rather than truly thought out. Like, I loved that right at the tail end of Yumi being a champion, we saw that the Guardian Yumi's, like, farming up their gold item in, like, five minutes just because they could be detached more, play more aggressively, and that's, like, a last-second tech before Yumi's nerfed to existence for at least the foreseeable future. Um, and I do think that people use runes and items shortcutted through, you know, famous players using them to just not have to put too much thought into that. And I think maybe that's fine for players, but it's not fine for analysts and, and coaches who allow those things to continue without there being critical thought. Like someone in the decision tree needs to have some critical thought. Otherwise, you get these hilarious moments where people are just playing suboptimally and they don't even know it. That's that's the biggest problem there. Is there's a lot of people to detect that they're playing suboptimally or building suboptimally that aren't. But isn't there isn't the reverse true where there's also like a universal clapback as a result of this? Because you have to deal with a scenario where players are then pressured to maybe make suboptimal decisions the other way, right? Where there is a good reason to buy these pink wards right now because of a compositional structure or because of a strategy or because of a timing window. And now the fans are getting, you know, shitting on them. And that actually potentially changes the way you know they something, play the game. Monty, in general, I do have a rule in life that you should never give advice to someone you yourself don't follow and hasn't worked for you. So I can, in a very rare turn of events, actually tell you the advice I would not only never have given, because I would have thought it was obnoxious, but I couldn't have because I would be a hypocrite. You know what's brilliant, Monty? The other way around, where you can choose to have like input that helps you, but you can choose not to have all the bad input, you can just turn Twitter off. <laughs> yep. Go look at my Twitter. What have I done for the last four months? What have I done for the last four months? I haven't had any beefs, any dramas. I haven't replied to anyone. I've done it. I've actually lived that. I've gone teetotal, as it were. And I was a hell of an addict. Now, I, listen, I've had a few moments I thought about having a lost weekend. Classic movie reference, 1945, look it up. But I didn't do it, Monty. I didn't get the secret bourbon out of the window, <laughs> plant pot, you know. I didn't do it. I stayed clean. Now I'm just an asshole on talk shows instead. <laughs> But people actually have to watch sure. their content to uh, call you out, and they can't take By it the out way, genuinely, all I'll say is if you're a young pro, that would genuinely be my advice. Either one, don't ever read it. Two, if you have to read it, read it when you're in the best state of mind. You just had the greatest breakfast, good sleep. You've even thought before, like, now remember, this might be nonsense. Might, you know, third option, I would say, and this is a very real one. If you're one of those people like a Bjergsen, I would do this tomorrow. Just hire someone to filter it for you. Just hire someone. They're, they'll do it for pennies and you can pay them well anyway. You make mi millions, mate. So I think genuinely, I'd, I would just give that a piece of advice because I agree, Papa, the downside of this approach and it isn't totally LS's fault. LS by himself is all, himself, by the way, is a prisoner of this as well. And certainly yeah, he's constantly having the, 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 the mob turn back on him. The downside is, yes, when he empowers, essentially what he's doing is he's giving people a scalpel to cut apart and diagnose his situation. But a lot of people use it as a dagger and just run at the player and start stabbing what, 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 them. Here's, here's, here's the analogy. Here's the analogy, guys. So LS is, is a doctor, right? He is capable of diagnosing these particular things. He's extremely knowledgeable about the game. 
you motherfuckers are the ones going on WebMD and re reading what he wrote and then trying to diagnose everybody off of that. Stop fucking doing that. You are idiots. Well, I mean, look, the truth of that is, and I think people kind of understood this around the Leandries, is, is it's a it's a way for fans to be on an equal power level because obviously they can't click their mouse as good or play the game as good as the people they're watching. That's why they're viewers. But they can build items. You know, It doesn't require any skill to click on something. So because of that, it's a very nice equalizer where you can feel empowered. You're like, oh, I know this, and this is wrong. And sometimes they'll be right, but they'll over-apply it because the nuance of the why is not going to be as iconic as the yes. this mask good, this item trash kind of like dichotomy that whenever you're playing for content, you're going to you know, be a heightened version of yourself or over-deliver yeah. it or give it. And that's just that's just the relationship that happens there. So I think when you get perspective on that and, I, and as you get more experience as a pro, hopefully you get perspective on social media or you have people around you to help. I hope you can play to your strengths because I think for some people they can't turn it off like you managed to, Duncan, or won't make that choice until it's too late. But in terms of setting your social media usage up for success, i.e. knowing when the good time is to read and yep. when the good time is to step away, I think that people do mature to that more frequently than we might know from the outside. Thing is, though, that's there's the other side of the coin, which is also why there's value to this, which is the other assumption always was, I'm not pro, they're pro, therefore it's another version of the appeal to authority. They must know more about the game. They must know it better. Well, they know they're better than you. And I can tell you, that is where, LS, look, LS has quite frankly broken through this and been able to have times people lauded him as more correct than the pro on a topic. That's very rare. Like, I, pretty sweet, I won't go into the whole side thing, I've got a whole video on my channel of it, but I actually have a video where I explained at the beginning of the current economic meta in Counter-Strike Go that literally nearly all pro teams were playing out these situations in a very inefficient way because basically what happened was the defensive CT weapons just cost so much and it was so costly because this T economy was so cheap that essentially the T could constantly sort of play a war of attrition and if you were the CT, well, Counter-Strike, you think to yourself, I just have to win the round. That's a score on the board. No, it's the guns you buy in the next round. The economy, so what yeah. yeah, what would actually happen essentially was it wasn't that you have to try and win the round like right we won the 1v1 cool you won the round we don't have enough money to buy the guns you actually needed to win the round and have like three people alive with a gun to make the next round even for you so what that meant is people were playing scenarios like they were at even strength based on what side they were on but actually if you understood like poker theory they were making a negative ev play and they were even putting themselves in scenarios where the best case scenario for them didn't actually give them like a winning situation it put them behind the eight ball a few times as it were you don't even have to know couch to get the premise hopefully on that so the, the anecdote i can give to bring it to league um is I, ca I cast uh, Overwatch for a little bit, and then in Overwatch, uh, I can't speak to current Overwatch, but this is like, I don't know, 2017 or whatever. Like, the, the whole idea of staggering deaths, right? Like, you yes. didn't want to, like, kill everyone at the same time, so they all respawn together. So if you could stagger, especially, like, the Reinhardt, who needs to be at the front with the shield, yep. you're going to get a huge advantage out of that. There was examples in League. I cast, like, an LCK game that same week or next week where... Um, they are kind of comically were not killing someone so that yep. they wouldn't respawn in time for Baron. Diva. But, but <laughs> no one had said that before on a league on a league right. game, right? They, they'd never said right. that. It was very much like, oh, they're playing with him. He must hate him in real life or something. Like right. they're styling on him and dabbing and things. But actually it was like purely strategic moment with just how that game played yeah, out. And like and around it, like I, a dragon respawn, for correct, example. Correct. Like it was, I think it was him. a Baron. I think it was a Baron take, but it was right. very much that. And then like, you know, four of them respawned and then 
whatever the frontline initiator didn't, and so the Baron was a lot harder for them to contest. And that's a much more normal thing to see in games right now. No one would ever, like, ascribe personal intent to not killing someone if it was strategic to it. But, like, yes. it, was, it took me casting Overwatch, getting into that being, like, the core mechanic of that game, to understand it in this game. So it's yes. possible. I, I must have missed it. I'm not saying that was the first time it ever happened, but commentating on it and grandizing that and it becoming more normalized for viewers and thus players like was all kind of a byproduct of this overwatch experience I mean, what you're talking about is essentially formalizing it as a principle which is one of the things i do appreciate generally about how ls does things he tries to have a coherent principle that he applies to the game by the way as a quick aside i still think currently in league of legends um, my region lec has an enormous problem with a, exactly this style which is I, I it drives me crazy papa the way they treat all kills as equal and they go for every kill they can get and the amount of times i've seen a team that is leading in farm has the con has the comp that would win the dragon fight and control it chases a support that oversteps 40 seconds before they blow two flashes and ult they kill him and it's like that and sometimes lose like the like in in this scenario like the jungler dies but they get the two kills it's like if you actually understood your like bigger macro play that was again the, if your joke is you opt out that if you could you actually would leave the kill you'd say fuck them, make them come fight us at the baron or at the dragon later right I mean, the word discipline is used in a lot of different ways, but it's like, it's undisciplined to over-pursue yes. you know, into fog and die, right? Like everyone gets that. But it's also undisciplined to use your ult, your team fight winning ult 30 seconds before a Drake if it's going to have a two-minute cooldown. It's also undisciplined to trade flashes if you're an AD carry most of the time just because the next team fight, you might be useless, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something that in reviews... Is, is they, by the way, reviewed. you know what I was saying earlier about doing theory? That's what I mean by the theory, Papa. Mm -hmm. I want people to have principles. Like, this is how we play. We play this style. We do these things. So the idea is he's not thinking, well, last time I was against Livsat. He's thinking, right, in this situation, our team, this is how we do it. Do we play defensive for the Baron? Do we, maybe we are the team who goes balls to the wall and says, screw the objective. Maybe we want them to get in the war of attrition if we're behind, you know. I will say that I think the flaw on that level of, like, bad decision-making is increasing, again, partly because people are pointing it out. It is also always discussed in scrims. I would say on stage, it's a little bit different because there's the noise and it's just a little sure. different environment. So not everyone catches up on it, but it's definitely been like a kick you've been on and a kick that I think has been improving in teams. So the floor on that also will increase because it's an extension of lack of discipline to overuse abilities that you can't have then for a critical fight. And I think that most people like still don't understand that a lot of the the fights in a neutral in a neutral game state when there aren't objectives to be taken especially as you you know roll into like dragon soul point a lot of the 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 vision control and and the fighting that goes on is simply to blow summoner spells or yep. or critical ultimates so that you can fight around the next engagement and it's not a sexy way to play league of legends like seeing a, an 80 carry blow flash a minute and a half before um you know, before the dragon soul point comes up because there was a vision trap doesn't seem super impactful to the casual fan, but that is what good Korean and Chinese teams are it's playing just not, for. It's not sexy, Monty. Like, even no. just the, like, something that I think you and I could have done better as casters was this whole, like, you know, when, like, an AD carry walks up onto midwave to push it, Jarvan comes from the bush, ults, they flash, there's never any kill chance on that AD, right? Like, they're always going to flash. We didn't really talk about it like, oh, there's like a 
three and a half minute power play that's somehow like accentuated on the screen and it's like hey this ad carry not having flash it's not an ezreal it's an ash they don't have a stash that's going to decide the next fight they're going to give up a drake because of this like finding ways to like actually like visually and in commentary kind of like obviously we did the same thing of like wow like there's a lot lower cooldown on jarvanol than flash how great like it wasn't like celebrated well, the game also wasn't as an advanced at that correct point correct all, all i mean is is like if that if we could have found a way to push that and like the the everybody understood it it would have increased the floor of knowledge for players yeah. it would have been a core principle and yes. it now is becoming a core principle or maybe is a yes. core principle but it's like it's nuanced and, and that's the truth of league of legends it's so, the yep. burden of knowledge is so fucking insanely high and only gets higher Thing is, though, Papa, I will say yeah. that's also why I do think places like an LS stream is the appropriate place. You go there if you're hardcore and you want to go that deep. Sometimes on the broadcast, like, you would just bore the casual fan if you did that too much. Like, I'll give you another example. If you're a casual fan who watches CSGO, a classic map, it'll always be there, as Inferno, right? If you watch the meta for the last four years, both teams go there and just throw loads of utility in. They don't go, in the, they don't go into the Molotov. They don't go into the smoke. They get flashed and hold back. Now, if you watch that, you'd go... Why don't they just not throw it or why waste it? They're not wasting it. Like we're talking about with the concept of baiting out ults. You're, if I throw this smoke, he has to throw the counter one to stop me going through. So you do this as the terrace, for example, to know at the end, right, you can only have one smoke on that site, you know. It's a, it's a way of baiting out, in, baiting out resources, making an information play based on process of elimination, and then you get the better scenario for you. But as the fan... The casual fan's not going to be able to engage with that point. He's just going to see the guy with the cross yeah. He's not having a fight. This is boring, you know. He won't get it. And, oh. and like, you know, one of the things I've been doing on my stream is I think I've watched all of the Gen G matches uh, that have taken place so far uh, this year, because I think that one of the the worst things about Gen G is this narrative about like Chovy just playing for farm, which it really just takes away from the fact that Gen G is so good at prepping minion waves and thinking like two minutes into the future. And they do things like, TP onto minion waves to sink waves a minute mm -hmm. before dragon so that two the side lanes are both pushing at exactly the same time into the enemy to get them vision control to take a drake. And these things you just don't, you don't even see them on camera on the broadcast. It's like here on the minimap, Chovy's TPing and he did it as yeah, yeah. Doran is sinking. You don't even see like that TP because it's not a sexy TP. It's in exactly. the replay, Monty. It's in the exactly. replay. I literally have to go, it's not even in the replay, right? Because <laughs> it's a minute before the dragon fight. Yeah. So no one ever sees it on camera, right? So I have to go back. And I, I like literally the other day, I was like, look, guys, Genji isn't sexy. I'm going to take you back to this other point earlier this year when they were playing against Breon. Look at this Silas teleport that goes from Genji's inhibitor to basically their tier one turret. And it's like half a map TP. And he uses it at this timing because they are sinking these waves so that they can push at the same time. So then they get all the vision in the jungle, which then causes this pick, which then causes an un uncontested Drake. And you don't like seeing this, but this is how Genji plays. And Chovy is fucking so map aware. He is so map aware. I think, um, so we're going to upload basically an LCK Mad Movie style comms replay uh, of our weekend. And we didn't really have a lot of like big outplays or like 1v1s and things. But the clip on there that I think you'll appreciate is, is there's a moment in our game against Golden Guardians where um, Prince is looking to back, like the play is over. He puts down a control ward and sees that um, he's on vision. And basically in comms, he, he like fake backs, basically, like just... It looks like he plays around the vision, um, you know, going away from the 
the Golden Guardians ward and then dashes over the corner and calls his team and is like, hey, they're going to come clear this control ward because they're coming away from base. I, I know the support's going to be here soon. Let's pick him and that's going to be the game-winning play. And the game-winning play is him playing around Vision falling off, getting a pick on the support. And from that, we get like Drake and two turrets and things like that. And it's a very nuanced play around um, vision going down that's like visualized and communicated well and plays like that like the broadcast can't know in one time you need like lots of different information oh. but plays like that are are really really sexy like you win oh, yeah. games off that you know like and <laughs> yeah. that's that's hard to say and that, that's what we're going to try and show with like our things is like how at the very highest level with everything working together the game has some amazing individual moments. Yeah, it's times like that. So I, I'll let you know, we're going to release the top five plays. We're starting to do top five plays, professional plays every week on mm -hmm. this channel. Um, so you guys are going to see that later today uh, after we get off this episode. And the top play that I picked this week is something that happened off camera. And what happened was in the game that uh, Chovy was was playing, uh, who were they up against this past week? Uh it was their game versus Live Sandbox, right? So Closer, mm -hmm. Chovy's playing Rise, okay? And he's playing into Closer's Cassiopeia. That's been a very good matchup for Cassiopeia. We've seen it yep. as a counterpick, right? It is about 13 minutes and 45 seconds into this game. So he cannot TP for this turret dive. So his team stacks a wave, and they're four-man diving top lane, right? So they're four-man diving top to try and get an advantage. He is walking from base into river. He is level 10, so he has level one rise ultimate. He cannot, he cannot realm warp under the turret in time, and he can't TP to the minion wave, and he can't TP to, a, to the ward because uh -huh. it's pre-14 minutes. Cassiopeia in mid lane, who doesn't know where rise is, assumes probably rise is walking top lane to be a part of this play. Yep. Starts teleporting. Chovy makes a snap decision knowing he can't realm warp in time, and if Cassiopeia ults his teammates under this turret, they may lose this game. Instead, he just realm warps to Cassiopeia, rune prisons her, stops her from going in. The dive kills the top laner and jungler on Lift Sandbox. They get a bunch of plates. They snowball this dive into a win. This is not on camera. Mm -hmm. It's not on camera. And yet it is an insane play that Chovy makes because he has to take into account, oh shit, it's like 15 seconds until I could actually TP. Oh shit, I have level one realm warp. I'm one level away from getting level two realm warp where maybe I would have the distance to get up there. Oh, I, I happen to see Cassiopeia. I have I make a decision quickly enough to channel realm warp to get there to cast W. It's fucking nuts. And like that's the strength of Genji. Yeah, I mean stuff like that is so much harder than like, you know, a button press outplay. And I think that broadcasts are getting better um at showing that and team content is as well. The more players we have who can weigh variables and make decision-making things like that versus just outhands people, like those two, two things will eventually like combine, and then again the floor of the game gets higher. And it's it's why I have that. This we we all here. I mean, mostly Monty and I, but Duncan begrudgingly have this long love affair with League of Legends. Is that it's a game that you can invest further and further into and find nuances and learnings and feel better about the time you've invested in and appreciate it more. And that's what all good esports should be. I think anything that you invest your time in and it rewards you and, and motivates you to put in more are special. It's why I've stuck in this field for so long um, is that I feel it's rewarding in that way.
By the way, another thing I also think is the reason why it's actually one of the first things I appreciated about Monty when he was doing it. He was trying to come up with concepts like rotations and things like that. Is it's a different style of academic research, guys. Like the pro player, if you have treats on, maybe he knows everything about like the support picks in Europe and how bot lane matchups work, right? He has to spend all day doing that to be the best at that and have that knowledge. He can't simultaneously know everything about item aspects like LS, if you don't know, is doing it from the Magic the Gathering slash trade card meta understanding of like it's why to me the silliest angle of all is beyond when they do it for WWE beef is when these people attack each other because the other guy has a different lens on the game I call them lenses and models like you pull one lens into like put it this way you need a telescope and a microscope you can't see everything with a microscope. You can't see everything with a telescope. You also need a great raw eye, 2020 vision. You know what I mean? Every single thing has a different aspect. And the joke is we need all these people in the scene. We need LS to have his crazy crusade over here. We need Papa to have a more reasonable take on some historical thing. We need me to have a spicy take that maybe gets rebuffed sometimes when I go too far because it's some Swedish fucking guy who's a little princess who maybe he's mad overrated and he's not even that Greek guy. Like, oh, I got lost in something for a second there. And you need, you need them all. You need them all. That's why I just like unique people, by the way. I like people have their distinct sort of their own philosophy on the game. I feel the same way about when I hire staff and things like that is I love people who have very defined strengths who like uh, put everything into those and, and build them up and continue to grow in those areas. I don't need all rounders. I need all areas yes. covered by my staff. And ideally the head coach is someone who can like switch between codes, but if they're not and I can uh, find another way to cover those weaknesses, then it's fine too. Um, yes. Whereas people that I don't want people like me, like I don't need that. I'm me, you know, yes. I, I can do my role. I need people to compensate and to have strengths that they want to invest in further. So I, that's, I think a pretty simple philosophy. I don't think that's anything um, mind, mind blowing, but it's very much bring in all types, find people who have passions that are different to yours. And then hopefully something beautiful comes of it. If you're all working towards a common goal is a very sound way to build a, a good team, a good business, anything like that. Like Monty, doesn't it drive you crazy when fans, because fans in the NFL do this every season, they pick a team that's bad and they just say the head coach is an imbecile. But do you know why he got the head coaching job? Because he was probably like the best offensive coordinator on like a really good team. The joke is he might be a genius at offense. Yeah. He just doesn't understand the rest of the game, maybe. you know. Well, you also can't know how good somebody is in a different role. Like exactly. Try them out in it. Yeah. You know? A lot of these people are working towards but people that people try to make it career. like he was a fraud. It's like, no, he probably was really good at that part. It's just he, not, he isn't when he doesn't have the, I mean, someone this, else do this job this, this applies to papa like papa's in a in a different role now as like mm -hmm. president of of FlyQuest, and as he stated on this show he's taken a step back you know he has a gm but your role in it now entails different things than it is it's before. actually so president it? it's not just yeah. gm what what's hey, the difference because that essentially makes you the leaner of FlyQuest. yeah I, i'm <laughs> i'm all the john robinson or whatever you want to call it. i'm i'm like the face yeah, and business lead yes correct what is your new job for people who don't know? Uh, trying to make FlyQuest from what they were into the best League of Legends, media, etc. company in the world. Like It's obviously a very, very far away thing from now, but it's making all the low, high level, medium level steps and business culture and hires, etc. to take us from where we were to what we want to be. Um, so it's a very lofty thing. It, some days you're lost in the source about theory. Some days you're interviewing people and bringing people on, but just trying to set up FlyQuest for success. Because I think the biggest learning I had from 100 Thieves, where they did a lot of things well, is that competitive success in a vacuum 
doesn't necessarily bring bring fandom or sponsors or anything like that. You need to capitalize and have a media strategy and really be able to supplement and get people to buy into the players you had. I think we did a really, really poor job with a title and multiple back-to-back finals squad. A hundred thieves of doing that, and those were decisions that were made above my head. And those are things that inform the strategy I want to take with FlyQuest and kind of bringing people into the amazing personalities we have here. So it's much more meaty. There's definitely been plenty of imposter syndrome already where I'm like, okay, I, I, this is how I would have approached it as a general manager and hiring in like the 17, 18 person competitive sphere with mostly young people who I worked with as a counselor before. Now it's a different type of person. Now it's employees and leaders and things like that. How accurate am I going to be at my reads that I was accurate at before? And so far, I've been able to break through the imposter syndrome, but I'm going to make big mistakes and take big risks because I've been given the the runway to an investment to to build something special here. So um, if anything happens FlyQuest-wise that people like or don't like, it's not all going to be my credit, but it's going to be something that's all under my purview. So I deserve you know, all of the criticism and, and I played a hand in all of the good and the bad is kind of the way I look at it. And you're the changing, the name, right? changing, the you're changing the name, right? changing the name? changing the name? I mean, even if we were, I couldn't tell you. But currently, we have no plans to change the name. <laughs> okay. The name is so bad, man. Because <laughs> the thing is, in Korea, the big brands can even inspire all those fans to come up with trucks. 100 Thieves could barely get one guy on an electric scooter with a pumpkin spice latte to shout some of I don't want to talk about 100 Thieves, okay? <laughs> That's the past. That's so the past. You, you, you bring in Avali, obviously, is like the, the first big thing, and you release this really fun music video for the roster. So what is Avali supposed to be doing as part of your media strategy, and what else do you have going on? I think this, the pitch to her was that both at Riot and G4, she was misused and miscast, obviously most clearly True. on the LCS, where all of her strengths are around getting personality out of um, people who aren't naturally going to be great speakers or entertainers and also kind of like all the broadcast assets that add value that the LEC was ahead on. The LCS had someone who was passionate about and they were like, no, you're a serious interviewer only. And it's like, okay, well, why are we playing against type? If this was a a movie, it could be called a miscasting, right? Um, And Basically, and then G4, where it seemed like just the bureaucracy kind of took away her ability to innovate. And basically, I came in and said, hey, I think you're great. You've always been great. The leveling up I saw of you, even on the serious side, like the the thing that moved me the most was when I did the G4 LCS Finals co-stream. I think it was spring 2021. She was on an analyst desk, hosting an analyst desk with Brian Kibler and Broxa. Like that's, and it was supposed to be like edgy And and cringe. Adore was casting with me, I'm saying, for the yeah, analyst yeah, yeah. desk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, analyst desk host wasn't something I assumed that Ovali was going to be, like, super strong on. And it's, hey, let's make it a bit funny and cringe. And it's like, wow, this has a lot of a lot, lot of chance to be bad. You know, it's kind of how I looked at it. There wasn't any really a rehearsal or anything. And she actually nailed it. Like, she was really, like, square on. She didn't need a prompter. And, like, she was able to usher forward a segment that she couldn't do in like the restrictive riot interview scenario. And I was like, holy shit, even playing against your strengths, you've leveled up a lot. So like she, I, she has my respect from that. And so with FlyQuest, it was, hey, here's what we're trying to do. We're going to support you. You only answer to me directly. There's not going to be any diffusing or watering down from having a lot of bureaucracy like there was a G4 riot. 
go and run wild with your first initial project. Let's do some big projects along those lines. We're going to do you know two or three big things like that over the year. And also, how can we get you back into the LCS space and doing content with the players and things like that? So it's kind of a, if you have someone who you sin, claw themselves up multiple times, have strengths, have a lot of creative direction and, and projects that they want to produce, but not people to support them, you don't come in and micromanage them. You say, come over here. I will support you because I trust you. And if we need to rein it in once in a while, I'll help with that. But otherwise, go do your cool shit. That's exactly what your strength is. That's the kind of environment I want to set up for people at FlyQuest as much as possible. So I have a lot of faith in what she's going to be able to do. And as unleashed as we can get away with is going to be the hope for Ovali this year. I mean, I appreciate that from a being a boss perspective is that you enable people. And if they can't swim on their own, then you get rid of them. You know what I mean? Well, you just choose. You just choose wisely. Like you and I, even Duncan. If you were in a similar scenario, like we've known these creative types for years and years and years. We know who gets the long rope, and then yep. reel them in if you need to. And you know who, like, no, I only bring this person if they need to execute very specific deliverables. You know, that's the the thing. Is if you're a good judge on that, it goes well. If you're a poor judge on it, it goes poorly. And I think that I'm going to be one on one, one one out of one with Ovali, but again, remains to be seen, right? I think she deserves it. Uh, Any time that she's been given the resources and creative freedom, I think she's produced some really fun stuff. It may not be all. It, it may not always be my personal cup of tea, but I love her creativity and her own spin, and that she has her own style. And guess what? If you have an umbrella of content, you can do your cup of tea and she can do her cup of tea and <laughs> you can both be hitting new audiences. And that's what we're trying to do, right? Sure. Uh, do you, outside of Avali, what are, what are the rest of your plans or what have you got going in terms of other media? I think we're still working that out. I think we have some cool stuff that's not announced yet. I already mentioned we're trying to do the LCK Mad Movie thing. I think for us... The mandate right now is we're in league, we're big in league, and we have a couple of Smash players. So let's make sure that we're buttoned up on league. Um, I think in my dream world, people can like build their week around kind of like FlyQuest um, League, of Le League of Legends drops. And if we're hitting all the different areas of fandom, then that's like something that would be awesome. It's aspirational and may never come to be. It requires a lot of work. But at the end of the day, putting a really full slate of League of Legends content of different types out there to all types of fans is step one. And then growing that sphere meaningfully in ways that come up. You know, we're lucky enough that we're expanding and hiring and, and able to take meetings with people rather than, you know, working out who we need to cut. So because of that, there's going to be opportunities that arise that never would have in the past. Just like Prince and Vicla being willing to come to North America was a very unique we waited in the off season till Europe and North America had ended their off seasons and just happened to be amazing high quality players available. The same is true of creators like Ovali after G4 went away and of other available people in the current kind of economic climate. So it's what risks exist a lot right now. Which ones should we take? That's the part where I uh, earn the big bucks or get the big flames. So we'll see how that goes. By the way, one thing, since people obviously think we're just picking all the negative things, one thing I do think was a really good thing that they empowered, hopefully, this person to do, was I thought that feature that Emily Rand did where she did the Draw My Life. It was great. It was so that good. That was very good. That was a really good way to sort of draw people into the highlights of the person's career. 
Well, it's just, well, I love it when you play the strengths, right? Like she's yeah. someone who likes to do the same way they took scoring. like Draco's shit and turned it into music at the LEC. Mm -hmm. Like Emily has these abilities and it's like, finally, I mean, I just know from talking to the LCS casters that they were just like completely shut down by the producers for years when they were pitching these segments. And it's not that it's not that the, the casters didn't want to do these things. It's that they were just constantly told no, and we don't yeah. have any resources to do this. And finally, we've gotten to the point where they are actually able to explore this better from a creative perspective. And I love to see that kind of stuff. I think that's one of the most fun things about Emily being on the couch slash whatever desk, whatever you're going to call it. Yeah, I mean, we've all lamented having these great ideas and being told to rein them in or play against type or whatever. And that's the last thing I want to do in an org that I'm running. Um, there will obviously be misses in trying to do that because you'll give somebody too much rope or you'll make a mistake on that. But we've all been talent that's been held back. I'm not going to start holding back people is kind of the way I think about it. You know, obviously with the new ownership group, what have you been told to do? Like, what is your mandate with this team? I mean, I said at the start, it's, it's to go big, it's to win, it's to do media, it's to take what FlyQuest was and the core messages that we have and get them bigger and elevate them. So we're not changing who we are as an org by any means. Obviously, people love us for our sustainability and inclusivity. It's just we want to do sustainably on a, sustainability on a bigger stage. Um, we've actually already planted... In two weeks, we planted half the amount of trees we planted in one year. So, like, obviously, planting a lot of trees and tree quest is going to be looking like it's going to be a big slam dunk. And we want to include more people. We want to tell more stories. So, I think that's the mandate. Is FlyQuest was doing something novel and had a brand identity that wasn't just we win, which is kind of what C9 TLTSM trade, depending on what year it is, um, and kind of taking that bigger and and going further into that and examining what that means on the peripheries is, is basically the thing there. But uh, yeah, early days. And I try not to speak too much. I try to actually get in there and have the meetings and work out how to do these things. Cause we've all made our careers talkers and talking is easy for us, but actually putting together the empire, which is what you guys are doing with last free nation and, and fully kind of reaching a vision is much harder. Um, and it's not a natural strength of at least me. And that's what I've been testing myself on recently is like, okay, how about I talk less and do more? And uh, the fruits of that have been few and far between so far, like a good LCS team obviously coming on, but hopefully more things to match that intent in the future. It's definitely a unique brand. Like I heard years ago, Meteos almost joined because he heard all the initiatives were just about trees. And then he found out when he got down to the minutia though, it wasn't really what he, it wasn't really what he was feeling. Look, here's what I'm going to say. I, I've always loved Meteos. His, his sense of humor really, really jives with me. It Obviously, what happened in 2020 is like something that has like split us for a long, long time since. And I wish we could sit down over a beer and talk about it. Over some trees. Oh, yeah. If you're listening to me, else, just <laughs> you know, <laughs> pick up the phone. <laughs> the thing is, it's like I, I still view him positively to this day and will build him up and enjoy watching his content. But I also was the person who had to be the face of him being let go in the same sure. week he was two years previously. Something I was aware of, tried to manage in a different way, nothing I could do about. You know, I'm the face of an, a really bad thing happening to Will. And that sucks. It sucks that that was the role I had to play, but it was my role to play, right? And so now I just have to hold the L infinitely. And if that's the way it has to be, then I, I have to accept it, right? It's not something exactly. easy to accept, but yeah. it is. 
He was caught in the minutia of it. He probably couldn't see the wood for the trees. Even though if you have glaucoma, apparently it would help you see better. So, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know. Have we had enough? Can we cut off this show yeah, now? Whatever. What are we it's doing done, here? No, it's done now. It's done now. Come on. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we'll we'll probably wrap it up there. Uh, for this week, guys, if you want LEC talk, we just did a bunch on Power Spike yesterday. Also, Best Damn League Show has a as a surprise guest later this week. So the point of having four shows, guys, is that we don't have to cover every topic on every show and rehash yeah. all of our points. Yes. If you want to hear me and Dom get mad at Fnatic, well, you got that yesterday. If you want to hear what teams were excited about going into the group stage, well, you got that yesterday. You can watch the show. It's out on VOD right now. If you want to hear more about the actual matchups in Korea. There was the Monty Wolf show. If you want to hear even more about Europe, there's BDLS, exactly. right? Exactly. exactly. We might we, be a little bit blunt, covered. but in the end, that's a wrap. <laughs> so.